This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Top of the morning to ya. Three hours of information, insight. Today you're going to learn the tools you need to uh, to find the good in the world. By the way, did you know that video games could help you heal post-traumatic stress disorder? So when mama says, don't play those video games, them going to ruin your brain, you say, mama, it helps me with my PTSD. Great research coming out on that today. We'll be getting into that a little bit later. Also, uh, would you believe that having a purpose in life makes life worth living? Having purpose makes life better, makes you happier. Do you have a purpose? Think about that. If somebody came up, put a microphone right in your face and said, hey, what's the purpose of your life? Would you have an answer? Yes. Survival. I would ask my wife and find out and get back to you. Honey, what's the purpose of our life? (laughs) Yeah, this news. What am I supposed to do here? They want to know what our purpose is. So we'll be talking about that a little bit later. And um, also, we're going to be talking about betrayal. Ooh. Have you ever been, like, betrayed? Yes. Seriously betrayed? Yes. Let's talk about it. No, it's all right. Come on. Who was it? Now, the question is, do you forgive or do you hold a grudge? Or do you forgive, like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's, sure, no problem. It's not yeah, a problem. And yeah, then you just basically yeah. hate that person yeah, for the rest of your life. Yeah, you go key their car. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I just yeah, you have this understand. sort of inner hatred. That person is dead to me. <laughs> I, I forgive you. <laughs> But I want you it's to It's not die. healthy, but uh, that could be a way to we, deal. We're going to actually talk later in the show about why betrayal hurts. There's a reason you actually feel pain when you've been betrayed. When you think about it, it's not like you've been knifed. No. I mean, unless, of course, the betrayal was a knifing, a la Caesar. Yes, a literally. A two brute. Being stabbed in the back. That was a bad, painful betrayal. But when you're betrayed by your best friend who told your, your enemy what you said about him. Hmm. Why does that hurt so bad? We're going to talk about that because pain and emotional pain, physical pain and emotional pain, your brain can't always distinguish. Same thing for the brain. So we'll get into all of this today. Plus, uh, James still married, right, James? Quick marriage update. Still married, yes. Michael Pond, are you engaged yet? Not quite. Trying. I'm trying. <laughs> what do you mean trying? You yeah, ask the questions, yes what, or no. What did you do, what, like, what did you do last <laughs> night to try to get engaged? Well, I said, hey, what kind of rings do you like? Oh, right, right, right. Did you really? Well, while I was camping, yeah. You were camping? Yeah. With well, who? With, with your friend? With my friend and her family. Wow. And you like, so do you like rings? Yeah, I was like, yeah, so. Uh, What's a girl like you doing in a campground like this? My friend likes wooden rings. What do you like? That's, James got a wooden ring. Yeah. It's going to fall so, apart in a week. It's a little inspired. You could say. So James's ring is ceramic. Yes. I don't want to brag, but mine's like pure gold. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's old school stuff. It really is. Ceramic. I made a ring of ceramics uh, with Play-Doh when I was a little kid. That's not ceramic. That's that's Play-Doh. Ceramic is a material. It's pleramic. If you you cook Play-Doh, then it's ceramic, right? Yes, it's kind of ceramic, yeah. So it's a lot like that. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) Mine was that brownish color that hap- that comes when you mix like four Play-Doh colors together. Yeah, I'm sure your mom was thrilled for you 
putting Play-Doh in the kiln? Well, she didn't know. And it oh. wasn't a kiln. It was an oven. And we snuck that in on her. <laughs> That's what you get when mom's not home. It was next to the lasagna one night. Yeah. It was fine. Yeah. <laughs> I just put it in there on a plate. A little cheese on it. It's fine. It was very great. So uh, Mike might be getting engaged someday because his girlfriend likes rings. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. <clears throat> Have you bought her a knife set Yeah. Not yet. I, I don't know if we're there. That's when oh. you know it's on. Yeah. Well, I'm set. telling you, the minute James pulled out the knife set, crazy. Well, I'll tell you, it was her birthday, same as yours, May 8th. <gasps> oh, and that's uh, a great you know, there's, can you feel the connection? I felt it, yeah. I felt it for you. It we're two, two, two Tauruses, or Tarum. Yeah, Tarum. Tari? Tarites? Tar. Mm. I bought her a sleeping bag for her birthday, and Ooh. so easy. She was, she was ecstatic. That, that's a little she personal. Yeah, I mean that's very personal. A sleeping bag. Yeah, I know, right? How cold can it go? Like, what does it go down to? Ten degrees Fahrenheit. <gasps> wow, wow, that's romantic. <laughs> you know what? That's great. See, you bought her a sleeping bag. James buys knives. Terry and I, we didn't buy anything. No, 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 really. <laughs> did you get Did you get your wife anything for Mother's Day? Uh, we, for for the boy, we left for twenty four hours. That's right. So you gave her freedom. And did you it, tell her she thought you were leaving for good? No, she knew where we were going. Okay. And then she asked. She was like, "I, I want to go buy these." You know, she wants to decorate the yard and stuff. And I go, "Well, oh, uh, yeah, flamingos. Uh, they're like hanging plants or something." Okay. So. So that's what you bought her. There you go. Go ahead and buy your own gift. I'll take the kid out of town, and you can have the weekend. That's great. And then he came back, and then it's his birthday over the weekend. So oh, yes. it was kind of the Mother's Day birthday did you, thing. Did, did you get him a, a bicycle? Yes. Does he like it? He loves it. He goes, my bike. Does he ride it yet? Not yet. Is it training wheeled up? Yeah. Does he lean to the left or the right when he I rides? have it balanced perfectly. That's great. That's and, great. That'll help because now he'll learn to actually ride. Hopefully. My kids could only ride in a circle because I didn't know how to balance my wheels very well. We'll see what happens. Uh, any headlines going on here? Tom Brady, Patriots quarterback, officially yeah. has been suspended for four games following the deflating of footballs during the AFC Championship game. Deflate game. He will uh, lose $2 million in uh, game checks. The Patriots really? are fined oh, one million. You don't get paid when money. you're suspended. There's two, he'll lose about $2 million. The Patriots are fined $1 million. They'll lose a first-round pick and a fourth-round pick. Wow. But see, so then they'll go fight this, and it'll maybe be half that. Yeah. So Or less. But see, two games, let's say, I didn't realize he makes that much money. So 500000 oh. a game or whatever. Yeah, he makes. I mean, really I knew he un- made a ton of money. Unreasonable money for throwing a football. Yeah. Or deflating a ball. Or deflating footballs, which those two individuals who were the actual ones that went into the restroom and deflated the yeah. footballs, they've been suspended indefinitely by the team. Oh, Without really? pay, they're out of the le- they're out of the league. The team can bring them back, but they have to have permission of the NFL to bring them back. So, oh, interesting. Basically, oh, the wow. NFL is going to suspend them. And well, it's too the bad Patriots for them because they really lost. They probably had more to gain. They can sell the autographed footballs they got from Tom Brady. Okay, so that's ten thousand, and they'll be fine. I know, but then they still don't have a job. Eh. I feel bad for them. The economy's looking up. <laughs> the economy's looking allegedly. Well, and maybe they'll come back. But that's interesting too. The company, the team had to pay is going to have to pay a million dollars. Yes. And that they're not going to fight. Which is a drop in the bucket. Right. The so team. the even though a fan has set up a crowdfunding website to pay the fine. You think that'll happen? No. But it's funny. 
<laughs> the team can totally afford a million dollars, but yeah. this guy is trying to get fans to pay the fine. Well, but I, they can probably, as the fans, they can probably raise the money, and they're probably all okay because they won the Super Bowl. Right. That's cool. And in the end, this is a non-story, and yeah. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Okay. Um, magnitude 7.3 earthquake in Nepal. I know. 30 more dead. So it's between... Uh, what, Mount Everest and uh, Kathmandu. Oh, man. Not that we all know the geography so Is this considered area, like an aftershock? I, or is this I've just been trying a whole to new... see if they considered an aftershock because it's being that big, yeah. a 7.3 earthquake, it uh, an additional 1,000 people injured, 19 deaths, according to news sources. Uh, tremors felt across northern India, including in New Delhi. Mm-hmm. They said buildings shook in New Delhi for over a minute. Oh, my heavens. So just the last thing they needed. Crazy stuff. And then uh, five dead after tornadoes hit Texas and Arkansas. Oh, my living. As tornadoes are just tearing across the global Midwest. Global warming destruction. Well. It's not all attributed to the global warming. But... Yeah. <sighs> so tornadoes across the Midwest, earthquakes. And nothing going on here. And we're it rained for 18 hours on Saturday. Yeah, but it's not like we had a... Daddy, son, father, son. It's not like we're trying to camp or anything that weekend. It's not like we wanted to do yard work. John Kerry is meeting with Vladimir Putin this morning. Woo, this will be interesting. They are. They, uh, they, now, interesting, watch. Vlad meets with the Chinese. Yes. And now all of a sudden, Kerry's knocking at the door. Hey, what about us? Hello, Vlad? The interesting, they're meeting in Sochi. So oh, they're probably going to go over to the uh, the empty Olympics. buildings yeah. that all the athletes stayed in for a week, and then they sure. closed the buildings and mothballed them all, because that's how the Olympics works now. Uh, they're going to discuss Syria, uh, Ukraine, ongoing uh, negotiations about Iran. Look, we, we don't have to break up. Come on. Yeah. Come on. So Vlad. The, we, it's not you. Vlad. We like you. And uh, Governor Chris Christie. Yes. Yesterday, it was uh, his expense account budget went uh, was made public. Uh oh! According to basically, <laughs> a big chunk of it went to food and alcohol, according to an analyst of his ledger uh, from a monitoring group, a New Jersey watchdog group that's looking at the public money he is that he is spending. But he's that's entertainment. Record that's show not going to him. He's not drinking the back of the limo. Record show shopping sprees averaging nearly 1,000 at uh, supermarkets in the area. $82,000 paid to the operator of concession stands and souvenirs at MetLife Stadium for Giants and Jets NFL games. $82,000. <laughs> that is a lot of He gets a $95,000 annual expense on top of a $175,000 salary. He spent roughly 360000 from that expense budget with 300000 going to food, drinks, and desserts. All of these Jets games? Well, 82000 of it at football games. Well, he must like buy a drink for everyone in the stadium. This is it how he's getting like elected. It. Yeah, he's, he's entertaining. He's, he's out there. That's you know. it, though. That's I've been to a place. I've been where somebody bought me a hat at a New York Yankees game, and they bought it off their expense report. And George Zimmerman, yeah, the Trayvon Martin situation, and he was acquitted. Of the, of dude, the, he he got in a road rage thing with some guy, and the guy shot at his truck. The bullet went through the window, glass sprayed him in the face, and he ended up in the He's hospital. He's lucky with he some didn't injuries. take some lead to the head. Yeah, so he's just a walking. He's a problem. Problem. Ah, Zimmerman. Okay.
Good, good news. So, good good well, headlines. Not really good. No, but good, good, good review of the headlines. A quality review, yes. Yes, high quality review. That's what you get on the Matt Townsend Show. A high quality review. Next, uh, we're going to take a break, come back, and we will be talking about video games and PTSD. You hear about all of these soldiers coming back from war, having gone through post-traumatic stress disorder, and one of the great new tools they're using to help heal PTSD um, and process it better is, believe it or not, video games. We'll come back with Carmen Rossignello up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, imagine driving down a rough dirt path, sun beating down on you, chaos and commotion surround you, bullets are flying and people are yelling, all, by the way, taking place in a lab at East Carolina University. And then suddenly, as you're driving in this simulator... You smell this, that scent of gasoline fills your nostrils, burnt rubber. All these smells start to come back to you. And if you are a, uh, you know, a returned soldier who had just gone through a traumatic experience, this may be the therapy you need to be able to recover and improve your, um, your recovery in PTSD. That's what they're finding out, this type of uh, simulation – at, uh, at East Carolina University Center for Applied Psychophysiology, they're combining gaming technology and biofeedback techniques to help veterans who are suffering from PTSD. Joining us on the phone is Dr. Carmen Rossignello, director of the East Carolina University Center for Applied uh, Psychophysiology. Dr. Rossignello, thank you for joining us. And uh, talk to us about what you're learning about PTSD and some of these techniques of video gaming you're using. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Great to have you, by the way. Well, thank you. Uh, primarily what you're speaking to, uh, what you just opened up with, is what we consider virtual reality. Yeah. And the, and the process... So biofeedback is a process in which a person learns how to control their physiology. Most of us don't even know that, one, how our physiology reacts to different stimuluses, and two, that we have a certain amount of control over it, much more than we're ever given credit for. Yeah. So we start people off, Marines, uh, we start them off by learning how to control that, and then we actually increase the stimulus so that they can... Uh, learn to control those uh, responses to greater and greater stimuluses. Now, is that is that what PTSD is about? Is they have a traumatic event in the in the campaign in the war, and um, then is it basically that they then keep kind of recreating it, but they don't know how to process their physiology, their their emotions, and and their chemistry through it. it you, you're accurate in the sense that um, one of the hallmark problems with uh, PTSD, and it doesn't matter if it's a war veteran or somebody who had been raped. Or yeah, it any- could be anywhere. Right. It, it, um, basically what happens is we, we build a resistance, and it's a chemical resistance to the memories themselves. And while we can tell the story, 
And I have, you know, I can tell you stories of guys who just sat there and, and talked to me like I'm talking to you right now, and you're just like aghast that they don't have any emotion associated mm. with it. Yeah. And, and it's because we're afraid, I believe, that, you know, if you let go, what's going to happen? Uh-huh. I mean, and, and that's actually what we see in virtual reality. So as we, as we move these guys more and more and they can handle this emotional response better, then we take them into a virtual reality situation where they uh, basically we recreate uh, the software does their experiences. So we can put them in a Humvee and we can put them in the seat they used to be in and the turret if they were a machine gunner or on patrol. And we start them off very slowly. And there's a unique advantage to virtual reality in the sense that it creates a psychomotor connection mm-hmm. and, and it triggers those memories. So when we look at a 2D screen and I said, you know, look and see, make sure there's no snipers, you just keep staring at it. But in virtual reality, you literally have to turn your head to look up. And when you do it, it triggers these emotions or experiences. So, for instance, we had one Marine that was, I had him on a patrol and he was walking and he, he, there was a Coke can laying on the ground and he, act, he stopped. And Mm. he just stood there for about 15 seconds. And just as he started to approach it, this little kid came out and tried to pick it up, and it blew up. Mm. And that guy broke down for like 15 minutes crying and said, you know, something like that had happened to him. And it triggered all these emotions. Well, that's the healing process. Yeah, you need to trigger them, don't you? They need to be triggered so that then they can use their their biofeedback skills to control it. Exactly. And so what we'll do is we'll stop them and say, look look at the physiological reaction you're having to this. Now, employ these techniques that we've been teaching you, and it'll demonstrate that you can get control over right. those physiological responses. You'll never The memory will never go away but at least you won't have these dramatic physiological responses to it. It's interesting. A Coke can, that it created that very, he was there again, wasn't he? He was back in Fallujah or wherever the, this took place. This, this is so unique, this virtual reality. And I personally, I think it's, it's the future of medicine. So mm. if we can put you in environments where everything around you says that it's, you're healing and, and things are getting better, what kind of impact would it have on you? We just did an open house at the center to give you an idea of the power of this. And we have like a cave room, and not everybody can get in it, uh, especially during this open house. So there were some people inside, and they were doing a demo in the VR, and there were four Marines at the door, so they weren't even actually inside the room. And as I was coming up the hall, one of my grad students grabbed me, and she said, you need to follow that guy. He's having a reaction. Hmm. And I went down the hallway and here he was sitting down there in a corner crying. And he said, I don't know what it was, but that thing just triggered. Wow. And so it's, it's a very powerful, uh, I think way to get it, uh, to get through the resistance that's there so that they can actually start to process, you know, the emotion that was attached to those situations that they were unfortunately involved in. So is that's it, kind of the way it works. Uh, again, we're talking with Dr. Carmen Rusiniello, who's the director of East Carolina University Center for Applied Psychophysiology. And um, Dr. Rusiniello, is, is it, um, it, it, do you end up then performing more psychotherapy in, in these procedures, or is it more 
just technology that you're facilitating? You know, it's interesting. I did, that's an interesting question, and then I just came from our national conference, and they had four of the you know, uh, real thinkers in the field in different areas of biofeedback, and they were sitting down. It was kind of like a fireside chat type thing. Mm-hmm. Somebody brought up the question, almost like what you were discussing, but in a little bit different way. And the response universally was, you know, we're therapists, most of our psychologists are counselors and et cetera. And as good therapists, we want to hear the person's story because it's important to them. Mm-hmm. But then we never talk about it again. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it just has no relevance to what we're doing. Yeah, it's like they need to get it out once so they can trust that you get it and then done. Yeah, and now we want to focus on your training, your ability to control your physiology. And when they start to realize that they can lower their heart rates, that when even a cognitive stimulation, like a thought about being back there, what that does to them physiologically or talking about it, they can see it in the data. And yeah. now we can deploy and we have techniques that we know actually bring tone back into, let's say, the autonomic nervous system so that you can get control over your physiology. And they're pretty well tested now over a number of different studies, and this stuff works. Mm. It really sounds powerful. We're going to take a break. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Carmen Russiniello, uh, who's teaching us about the, these this new kind of Video game, virtual reality, basically, um, and, and the tools and the way that they can use it to track uh, and gather biofeedback information and then teach people how to control their emotional and even chemical responses to traumatic situations more uh, on the use of technology to heal up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're speaking with Dr. Carmen Russiniello, uh, who is at the East Carolina University Center for Applied Psychophysiology, where they're combining gaming technology and biofeedback techniques to help to deal and to treat uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, seriously, folks, PTSD is one of the biggest things that our soldiers are bringing back from war. But this is this has far-reaching effects. Think of examples of you know somebody that's been through a traumatic event, the people that have been through the tornadoes um, recently, or uh, the hurricane or the earthquakes in Nepal. That's going to create a lot of trauma and a lot of uh, of issues that need to be dealt with. Imagine the day that you can go to one of these labs like Doctor Rosaniello's, and you can go receive feedback and, and be in a kind of virtual world where you can experience similar situations and then gain the confidence of knowing how you can control your your emotional, your physiology, your biochemistry. I mean, how powerful is that, that uh, we get we get to understand ourselves at that level? An amazing thing about it to me is it's video games, right? I mean, it's not, but it's the technology. It's similar. And, and it, it's just understanding that, like, if you've ever played a video game where you got all stressed out, what if we could, while we're stressing you out, also teach you to calm yourself down? 
Think of the confidence that gets you. So joining us on the phone, again, is Dr. Carmen Russiniello. Thank you again for joining us, and thanks for the great work you're doing out there. I appreciate that very much. I'd like to pick up on your last comment there, if you don't mind. Please do. And I'm going to kind of take this a little bit uh, to the left, if you will, and then I'll bring it back. Yeah, you're good. So like... um, Oh, uh, eight years ago or so, we got I got a phone call from a gentleman, vice president of a gaming company called PopCap at the time, and he said his opening statement was, we're making so much money, and we can't figure out why. Huh. And, and I was stunned. <laughs> yeah. And then he, then he said, we sent out a survey, and 80% of the people that sent the surveys back in said that the reason why they played these games was it increased their mood and decreased their stress. Can you check that out? Oh, interesting. So we set up a... They actually were bought out by EA Sports about yeah. two years Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, that's... So what kind of games are these? Just These like... are casual video games. So this is Bejeweled, Peggle, Plants hmm. vs. Zombies. In fact, we're using Plants vs. Zombies in a study I'll, I'll mention here in a second. Okay. So what we did was we set up, first we set up a study with just normal people and had them come in and play the game. We hooked up uh, EEG, uh, heart rate variability, a number of physiological parameters. And we had a, we randomized them. We had a control group. And lo and behold, their mood and stress, their mood went up. Their stress level went down significantly compared to the control group. So wow. then we said, well... If that works like that, I wonder if it works with people who are depressed and anxious. So we brought in people. We Again, we randomized them. Um, the control group read the NIMH website and, uh, and same physical conditions, et cetera. And the other group played the video game, and we, pres- we actually prescribed the video game to the, uh, the experimental group to play for one month, three times a week, for 30 minutes at a time. So it was like a prescription. Mm-hmm. And came back a month later, and then we assessed them all again. And lo and behold, they were significantly. What was very fascinating about that was that a lot of researchers will make it. You can make your control group so different that it's obviously going to be significantly different from it. But we were so close that even the actual control group significantly improved in their mood. And they should because they were reading the NIMH website, and it talks about things you can do for depression and right. things like that. Right, but the game was significantly uh, had a significant improvement above that. So that showed that that's it, amazing. It was amazing, and so we were like scratching our heads. And, and one of the real bizarre findings was that we gave a state and trade anxiety scale as well, and the, not only did their uh, state anxiety change, but their trade anxiety changed significantly. And that's like unheard of in psychological literature. So so you took, like a trait is seen as more permanent, state is yeah. more temporary. So by by playing these games, you were seeing that not only was their, their status in the moment changing, but a trait of, uh, you know, uneasiness or stress was also improving. Exactly. So then... So we saw that, we published those, and then we, we said, um, you know, we got to try them against medications, but that's going to be a chore because, you know, there's not a lot of people that want to know this. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You'll get, you're going to be oppressed, right? So what we did was we actually hooked up with a psychiatrist, and he said, you know, 
what you could do is use it as a secondary medication because right now people are plateauing on antidepressants and then they're giving them a second medication like Abilify. Yeah. So what we did was we, we couldn't randomize them because they had to be referred and we and they were given an option basically by the psychiatrist, you know, do you want to go on a second medication or they're having a study over here where you can play video games at a prescribed rate for a period of time. We're getting ready to report that it was significant over the medication group. Are you serious? I'm very serious. Like what if what if the day though, think of this. What if, Carmen, we get this day where doctors can just prescribe you know, Bejeweled or whatever the name of that game is. Like, that's oh, crazy. It's coming. And, and here's what, here's what, you know, so it, it, the obvious question was, is what the heck is in these video games right. that's helping these people, uh, you know, decrease their depression? And we started to think about it. Well, I go to work. I didn't get that done. This guy, yeah, you got to get that done. Blah, blah, blah. I got the car and there's traffic. And you really don't get a lot of positives in life. Well, Bejeweled is like you sit there and it's kind of zone out so you have a mental distraction. This is one of the concepts of decreasing stress. There's not a lot of pressure. You can put as much pressure as yeah. you want in a casual video game. So you're actually there. You're dragging some jewels, et cetera, across there. And it says, awesome job. You're doing awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, and you sit there for 30 minutes, and the dang game, it, they, what they've done is by, I think, by gamers going back and forth with people, a psychologist develops a, a, a technique by trying something on a client, it works, they try it on the next client, they might try it on a bunch, and then all of a sudden it's a good technique, and yeah. they write it, up and it gets published, and then we teach it to students 20 years later. Right. So gamers actually sit down with people, which actually dawned on me, I don't think I worked in psychiatry for about 20 years off and on, and I don't think we ever sat the clients down and asked them what they wanted. Yeah. Ever. Isn't that sad? <laughs> and so gamers do that. Right. And people said, and now you can't really speak to the autonomic nervous system because it's under our consciousness, mm -hmm. but it's about survival. So they'll say, what do you think about this color? Nah, I don't like it. I can't tell you why, but I don't like it. How about this one? Yeah, I like that. And they're looking for a relaxing kind of thing. Right. That's when you can see like uh, creatures like unicorns a lot <laughs> and different things like that because they're safe and yeah. you don't have to worry about them or anything. Even if they're not real, they're safe, they're not a threat. Yeah. Exactly. And so I think what has happened is, is that over time, they've built a treatment for people. Yeah. We're looking for ways to cope. Well, that's why that's why these kids get addicted too, right? I mean, this is like smoking a joint, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, chemically, oh. you you get you you know mental distraction, yeah. pressure is yeah. released. Exactly. And you it, hit it on the head. You it, hit it on the head. In fact, we're getting ready to do some biochemical analysis that in those groups. To yeah, that'll be fascinating to see what really is the chemistry that's created by playing bejeweled. Yeah, and, and so and here's the other things we found, interestingly enough. Men and women take different things out of the games. Okay. So you know, when a woman goes, I don't, I don't like that game, but I like that game, mm -hmm. when we actually looked at it, there were certain games that men had much more positive effects, like, say, in their EEG, which, which would correlate to why they were less depressed. Oh, interesting, women, yeah. Women like Peggle. Now, what's, which, which game is Peggle? Pickles, like, it's a pop cap game, and it's a combination of pachinko and pinball. 
Hmm. It, it starts off with almost no skill at all, and then it works up to it. But it's really, it, it gives them a more of a euphoric feeling as opposed to Bejeweled, which gives more of a relaxing feeling. And it got so much in Bejeweled where they were going back and forth with people what they wanted that some people were saying, you know, I just want it where I don't even have to worry about the jewels or mm-hmm. the stars to go through or whatever. So they created a Zen mode in it where you can actually do that. Isn't that amazing? It is. Yeah. And well, here's one sidelight that I, I found really fascinating. Yeah. So I'm asking the guy, the vice president of marketing, how do they sell the games, their games? Like, I, I didn't really know about them, and et cetera, et cetera. And, and he said, well, I said, like at Walmart, I saw your games at Walmart. How do you market them? He goes, well, we don't actually think we have we don't look at other games as competition. The way we look at it is if you walk into Walmart with 20 bucks in your hand, we want you to spend 10 of it on our game. Hmm. And I'm thinking, we're a lot smarter than what we are given credit for. Absolutely. So people are actually finding those games. Yeah. Which it, is really amazing. Well, what if you could um what if you could actually then and maybe you can. And th- to me, this is the, the kind of the biofeedback side of this. What if you could create a game? And I know they have them. I've heard of some of them for ADHD and things. But a game that you could actually intentionally kind of heighten and take the person along the path of being able to manage their emotion better, but connect it to their depression or connect it to their anxiety. So it's not just a game we're escaping our anxiety from. But we're actually learning about how to specifically manage our anxiety. Is that, are we on the verge of this, of, of being able to do this? What a wonderful segue. I, I actually just got off the, we did a presentation at the Department of Defense yesterday. Yeah. And we've, we've created uh, several apps that are going to be available very soon. Um, and one of them assesses your tension, 55 heartbeats. The, oh, other great. One, the other one assesses your, the balance of your autonomic nervous system, 55 seconds. And then we've created a game that has a traditional biofeedback. Now, this is played with the uh, camera as the sensor on your phone. Okay, and it's watching you? It, 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 pardon me? The camera is watching you? Oh, no, you put your finger on the camera. Oh, okay, yeah. And then it uses the light, bounces off of uh, mirrors inside the camera, and it creates... We've, converted that into what's called a photopathismograph or a sensor, a light sensor. Unbelievable. And we can pick up heart rate. And from heart rate, then, we have uh, some pretty sophisticated software that analyzes it, the, the variability. It's called heart rate variability. And from that, it gives this assessment of the autonomic nervous system. Mm. Um, very much like an EKG. Yeah. Stuff more robust. And portable. Mm-hmm. So then we said, and one of the things that we've been doing in the center for some time is moving towards this, is that we had to get to a point where people were actually having fun and, oh, by the way, I'm improving my health Yeah, exactly. So what we did was we said, how do we do this? And we actually got with Bejewel. That was where we showed the proof of concept that we could actually tie physiology into it. That got DOD excited because this could be used all throughout military service for people to stay in condition yeah. and so forth. 
And so we created uh, the traditional biofeedback screen, and then you just swipe. There's actually a game controller on the screen. You just hit the game controller, and then a game comes up that's tied into heart rate variability. It's, actually, it's called Relaxus, hmm. and it's uh, Tetris. Really? It's, it's Tetris, but tied into HRV. So you'll have a live PPG signal on the bottom. Uh-huh. Your finger on that, and there's a breath pacer. And if you follow the breath pacer while you're playing the game, you'll accumulate uh, health points and hints, additional hints. That's awesome. And And you're learning how to manage, you're learning how to manage your emotion finally. Yes. And so if you get, so when you're in the beginning stage, you're not going to obviously have, it's not going to be very hard for you to get in a resonance, et cetera. But as you get better and now you go into intermediate stage, we can make that harder too. So you're actually, you're training yourself very similar to what we were talking about in the beginning Mm -hmm. where you're, getting a different stimulus a little stronger each time and learning how to control your emotion around them. That's the idea. I love that. You know where we need that? Oh, man, Carmen, um, because I do a lot of relationship marriage coaching, is when people start talking and getting hijacked emotionally, if we could teach them in that moment to just kind of calm and then find a way for them to actually uh, get together emotionally. I mean, how cool would that be in training to hook people up and, and manage their emotions through their difficult conversations so that they don't have to go be emotionally hijacked? Not to digress, but there's several people in our college that are actually looking at Gottman's work and really? and, and moving in this direction. Yeah. With, uh, oh. And in particular, heart rate variability. I was at this session. A guy had created a screen where there were four different people they could hook up. Mm-hmm. He hooked them all up, had them sitting over in the corner, and then he started talking, etc. Well, first he said, look at their physiology, and it was all over the place, right? Yeah. So then he started talking, and about 10 minutes into it, he stopped, and he said, now look at their physiology. And it actually synced. Wow. They were, they were in rhythm. And he said, he, his question was, is that bonding we're seeing? Interesting, yeah. Were, see, they were over there chatting and stuff. Uh-huh. Right? So it, it it becomes uh, we're oscillating creatures, and oh, I yeah. think that that's, I, I think that that's, there's something to that. In fact, there's something at point one hertz. We know that Mozart's music is at point one hertz, and the speculation is that's why it lasts for uh, hundreds and hundreds of years. The waves are about point one hertz, and we like to get in that rhythm. That's amazing. Creatures, and we just don't understand it. No, and now it's just now that we have the technology to start understanding it. What happens the day that you that we can start understanding our energy with each other and and our emotion and and the syncopation and holy cow, what a cool thing! And and it's not just like like you were saying earlier. This isn't just to become a better warrior. This is this is to help people heal and to help people get over past pains and stresses and and maintain yourself we the behaviors which is remarkable about this training is we don't focus on the behavior as much we do you know bring it up like in a group setting but guys will train and we'll hear their stories obviously they're talking etc and then we'll, we'll have them sit around the room or something and i'll say doc how's your drinking hmm. and and they'll go ah you know i went out like this weekend and you know, drank maybe a six-pack or something, and he has this look on his face like it was a defeat. And I said, Doc, you were drinking 24 cans a day. Yeah. That's a huge totally. difference. <laughs> you're, 
And, and what you hear is, I'm not just so angry as angry and upset. Yeah. I don't feel a need to self-medicate so much. Oh, man. That's and huge. Like that. I mean, yeah. imagine that addiction recovery. We, yeah. we, we learn these, these skills in addiction recovery, and then we can talk openly about it. And, oh, man, Dr. Carmen Rustaniello, um, powerful stuff. Where can people go? Can the average just Joe learn more about what you're doing or get involved in some of your studies? They can go to our website. What's your website? Uh, www.ecu.edu slash biofeedback. And there's a host of information on different studies that we're doing. There's videos on there of actual, you know, sessions going on and different mm. things of that nature. Love it. Well, we appreciate you. And we didn't even get to some of the other cool stuff. Um, you're, you're really a, a great man and a great uh, thing going on here. Really, I, I love the because I've seen so many clients with PTSD and having no hope. But uh, you're giving people hope. Dr. Carmen Rusiniello, again, the guys there at uh, and gals at the director at uh, East Carolina University's Center for Applied Psychophysiology. Folks, 10 years from now, it's going to be a whole different ballgame. Imagine the day that you can actually see and track how in sync you are with another human being in biofeedback and in biochemistry. Powerful stuff. We'll take a break. Come back, uh, talk about this a little bit more, uh, then, you know, get to the top of the hour. This is The Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Seriously, folks, that is the future right there. How neat. Um, how cool is that? That There's a reason these kids go to video games and can sit there and veg 12 hours a day. There's people dying in China of over-gaming because they're not even eating. And it's because they're getting this high. They're getting this fix. It's also interesting uh, the differences they're finding out about the games women like. And we never heard the games men like. But... Um, Women like have you even heard of that game? The uh, I had never in my life heard of the game. What's it called? Peggle. 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 No. It starts with no skills needed, and then you just elevate your skills. But it's, it creates more of a euphoria hmm. than kind of an escape. Okay. So some want the euphoria of going after something and chasing it and getting it. Some just want the escape of moving jewels. And All getting right. stars. Right. It's like a puzzle that never ends and they like yeah. that. Yeah. But there will be a day, I'm convinced, that – you know how many times I've had moms come in, I don't know what's wrong with Billy. He just – he comes right home from school and just goes right to those darn video games. Yeah. And now it makes sense because well, he's, he's – it calms him down. Is he self-medicating? Is that he's kind totally of... self-medicating. Okay. Like I said, he could be smoking marijuana. Yeah. But instead he's playing a video game. And moms are like, Ugh. well, that's where you have to set up rules. And well, yeah, except the interesting thing is, kind of thing. but then she's like, so I'd rather just bring him in and have you talk to him. And now what we're finding out is maybe anything I could talk to him about would only create the same effect of his video game. Video game. So now if we could just tie the video game to actually informing so, him so he's actually learning what he's learning, like learning to calm himself down. In this instance, you brought up the, the kid. Is yeah. he 
coping with something? He's No, he's avoiding. He's avoiding. Well, but he's avoiding in now what we would say is a therapeutic way. He's actually getting a therapeutic outcome of calmness, taking stress off his plate. The problem is he's not informed. So he's ignorantly See, therapeutically dealing with it. What I like is this sounds like a justification for video games. I it, like that. I think it will be. Because as, as a kid, I was the, the person being yelled at. You're playing him again. No, eventually, you're, the- you're going to be prescribed a video game. Nice. They're going to say, you need to go play XYZ game. But what if I don't like the game? Well, I think what I think eventually what you'll even be able to see is they'll just have uh, you'll be able to play any game you want, but it'll track your biofeedback, and when you're getting out of control, it will force you simultaneously to lower your own emotional stressors. Mm-hmm. For example, I will bet you bucks, special ops yeah. guys already go through biofeedback training to learn how to control their heart rate right. when they're sneaking in. To, to a, a compound. A dangerous situation, right? yeah. So they already know how to do that, but I don't know that they do it with the rest of the warriors that mm-hmm. are just running, you know, some, what do they call them, some convoy somewhere. Okay. And they, they come across an, a bomb and it blows so, up. Yeah. Those guys probably never learned the biofeedback stuff. And then because of PTSD, they, they never so have learned a, to deal with it. As a tool to recognize what your body's doing what your body's telling you real with stresses mm-hmm. in real time so you can so supposedly that's all that. the PTSD huh. is well some of it I'm sure it's much more complicated though but your body has a physiological response and then the problem is which is normal but your body then go, kind of goes out of control with it and it overwhelms you and hmm. instead what they're teaching people to do is notice it they actually put you in high stress situations and then when you go off you can learn to control and manage your own emotion about it hmm. So imagine the day you're playing Call of Duty sure. and you have your little monitor on and it's even connected to your Call of Duty game okay. and it's also tracking your biofeedback stuff huh. and you have to keep your numbers at certain levels. Then you can go play your game. So it's the game within the game. It's the game within the game. Or huh. there's already certain games for ADHD and other things, but holy right. cow, that is the coolest thing ever. See, when this I, is video gamers gone when, crazy. When I saw the headline, I went, well, video games, let's talk about it. Yeah, that's, that was as far was, as I went. You didn't know it had this deep side, <laughs> did you? Well, that's pitiful. That's how we choose our guests. Just, well, video games, if it's a video talk. game, let's put him on there. Well done. Well done. Okay, folks, hour number one. It's in the can. We'll come back. Hour number two after the top of this break. Good stuff to find and to see ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the show, the Matt Townsend Show. This is the place where we give you the tools, the ideas to give you uh, a leg up in this crazy thing called life. You know, anybody can bring you the news. We're going to be bringing you the newsmakers, and you're going to get a, you're going to get a deep conversation, but funny. I mean, some would say we're not that deep, but you know, compared to you know a lot of yahoos, we are very deep. Yeah, if you compare us to yahoos, yahoo, there's depth uh, in the house um, on the keyboard today. <laughs> James is back on the board. Is that your new? Is that your new tag? 
Yeah, pretty much. Just I, I figure that you guys are extremely grateful that I'm here, and so the the angels above sing every time that you mention me on the board. That seems weird. It seems very appropriate, actually. I mean, it's, it seems like it'd be a different kind of, sound, kind of over the top, really. Yeah, or like overstated perfect. too I, much. I don't know. Seems like it's it's you know perfect. Yeah. There's no other word for it. <laughs> perfect. Okay, per- perfectly over the top. Hey, we just learned all about video games in the last hour. Well, and they're you can use them in a therapeutic way. Like they're they're changing lives. They help you understand your own biorhythms and your biofeedback. But it's not a video game that does that. It's the skills that can help you. And the emotional reaction yeah. to what's happening. That is huge. Whereas I just want to play a game, yeah. they're thinking about it. It's got to work because I've been playing uh, one thousand. What is it? Ten one one. See, you've played it so much. You don't it used know the to be name. Deer Hunter twenty fourteen. By the way, I don't want to brag, but I was probably one of the best hunters ever on Deer Hunter twenty fourteen. All right. And in all of my hunting, killed billions of animals, but no real animals were ever killed. No real animals harmed. No har- No real animals were ever harmed. Now I'm full-on addicted to a game called 1010. 1010. And it's got a, it, seems like the, it seems like Deer Hunter 2014 compared to 1010. It seems like 2014 has a better sound than 1010. 1010 seems pathetic. Right. Deer 2014. Wow. Yeah. And then there's always James Birdsall. It's like a physical challenge for him now, right now. <laughs> I've never seen Try him work to keep so up. Hard. Try to keep up. But what's so funny about that is James, uh, his sound seems heavenly compared to Deer Hunter 2014. Over the top. Over the top heavenly. Yeah. Like angels. What's my sound when we say my name? Money. Cash money. Money, money, money. That's because I'm talent, folks. A.K.A. talent. <laughs> so pathetic. You just made that up, didn't you? You don't even have a real sound for me. What's, no. what's Terry's sound? Oh, come on! That's exactly right. <laughs> That'll work. You nailed that. So what? what's mine? Hmm. Does Mike have a sound? Um, Michael Pond. Oh, no, actually... You do have a sound. What's my sound? I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> that works too. That's your sound. I don't like that one. What does Mike have a sound? Uh, yes. Yes, I love technology. That's good. Well, we've all got our sound. Uh, mine's, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm kind of a big deal. Yeah, that just doesn't seem quite right. I mean, I am. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> no, I think it's actually it's perfect. We we need a better sound. Just okay. find me a better. Sound. That one? Keep digging. <laughs> something magical, something strong, something like a unicorn. No. That's not it. Okay, well, let's take that off air. <laughs> Go figure that out. But I want like a unicorn in full stride. Okay. With, a me, with me on the back, hair flowing in the wind, abs. Flippity flappity, flippity flappity. So that the sound effect, in the wind. the sound effect of that happening. Uh-huh. If you could put that all together, okay. Because everyone's going to recognize exactly what that sounds like. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Oh my word, is that a unicorn with the man sitting on the back with, with his hair with flowing in the, the American wind?" American Vlad. <laughs> it could happen. Uh, any news going on? Today's National Nutty Fudge Day. Oh, excellent! 
Happy Nutty Fudge Day. Says fudge was accidentally in- invented in the U.S. in the late 1880s when a baker was trying to make caramel <laughs> or caramel, whichever you prefer. Following its creation, fudge recipes began appearing around the world in many different variations. To this day, Nutty Fudge remains one of the most popular fudge recipes. Nutty Fudge Day. Happy Nutty Fudge Day. It's also National Limerick Day. Oh. James has James loves limericks. James, give us your last limerick. My last one? Yeah, the last one that you did. Uh, it's really long. I, I, I wouldn't want to bore you. Well, a limerick is five lines. Yeah, it's a really long five lines. Five-line poem, first, second, fifth lines rhyme, then the third and fourth lines rhyme with each other. Mm-hmm. They're short, they're funny, they're lyrical, and sometimes nonsensical, sometimes obscene, and most of the time humorous. So Fantastic. Keep that in mind as you're driving you, You would think we would be giving them a limerick right now, one that they might be able to chew and listen to, but we don't – none of us have a limerick. No. I, I, I simply let you know of the day of limerick, not bringing but you actual as limerick. as the producer, one yes. should know as it's limerick day or nutty mm. fudge day. Yes. You would either A, need to present nutty fudge or B, present a limerick. Um – that we, is a good thought. We brought both of them up. I appreciate that. And yet we are nutty fudgeless and limerickless. These are the these are the, the hard knock life that you live. James, bail us out. Okay. I got one for you. You got a limerick? He, he found a limerick. Yeah. I was hoping you had nutty fudge. <laughs> that would have been better. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I okay. The next best thing is This limerick. is James's favorite limerick. This is my favorite limerick limerick. Uh there was a young lady whose chin resembled the point of a pin, so she had it made, made sharp and purchased a harp and played several tunes with her chin. All right. That's my favorite one. I feel bad for I that love lady. That, one. that was good. Nothing worse than a sharp-chinned lady <laughs> playing so, the harp. Look up limericks when you have a yeah, free moment today. Really By the way, we'll be bringing you limericks all day today. A new and, study. Oh, is this in limerick form? No, we're moving on. Okay. A new study released Monday found that there is a big drop since 2007 in the number of Americans who identify as Christian. Hmm. This is according to the Pew Research Center. Though 7 in 10 Americans still describe themselves as Christian, more people are identifying with no religion at all. You know what? That's the beginning of the fall. Is that what it is? So fewer people are uh, identifying themselves as Christian. Yes. Hmm. Are, are other religions going up? Muslim faith, are they – do we know that in this religion study? Says the survey found Americans who called themselves atheist, agnostic, or of no particular faith jumped 16 percent in 07 to nearly 23 percent in 2014. Holy cow. In the same period, Christians dropped from 78 percent to just 71 percent. So it doesn't talk about other religions, but it says the people who uh, either are agnostic, mm-hmm. atheist, or – Nothing yeah. has grown. So it sounds like people are just – It makes you wonder. Don't uh, care anymore. <laughs> or uh, maybe as Christians, we're offending. No way. We're driving people to atheism. <laughs> Could be. Or what? Some, something's changing. That's, that would be a great show. We got to find out what's going on there. That's interesting. OK. We'll get on that. OK. Get we'll on find, that. We'll find someone who described the human condition. That'd be great. And if they could do it in limerick form, it'd be even better. <clears throat> With nutty fudge. Mm. Verizon agrees to buy America Online, which is still a thing. Oh, really? For $4.4 billion. Do they buy also the sound? If that's still part of America Online, then yes. Okay. 
There are there is a huge number of people in this country, bigger than you would still think, still on AOL that's, that are still on dial up yeah, and but, using America right. Online to do that. I believe that um, because but, they can't get off of American America Online. <laughs> if you remember, it was impossible to get off of. Verizon is purchasing America Online. It says for their online uh, video services, hmm. which is interesting. Yeah, it seems like you would want to stream on, you know. So they're they're purchasing that. There are significant brands in the uh, AOL family. There's Huffington Post. Wow! Right, they, that's a that's a, a big web publisher. Yeah. They bought them in 2011 for 315 million. Uh, a couple tech websites called Engadget and TechCrunch. They're yeah. pretty big names. Yeah. Uh, this also includes. Uh, well, AOL purchased Time Warner for one one hundred eighty three billion dollars back in 09. Hold on, so Verizon's picking up Time Warner? No, because I think they unwound that deal in two thousand nine. Oh, <laughs> because they're like, wait a second, like, that would have was... been a great deal for four and a half billion. Well, the dot com bust of two thousand one finally ended in two thousand nine. So it looks like I think Time Warner and AOL are still together. Are they? I'd have to look that up to see exactly. We'll if have that's our crack researchers look that up. But in two thousand nine, they purchased Time Warner for one hundred eighty three billion dollars. Man. And Verizon just bought them for four point four, mm. right? So you spend that much to buy another company, yeah. but now the total evaluation is. But Verizon's a mobile dropped. company, so this is a mobile company making a big grab. Yeah. Who was the T-Mobile was trying to? No, who was trying to buy someone else recently? Comcast. Comcast was trying to buy, and they got the FCC shut them down. Yes. Who were they trying to buy? Uh, was it Time Warner? Uh, yeah. So they must have been unbundled. Well, they shut that down because. Uh, yeah, like well, monopoly. The, the whole net neutrality argument was based on the fact that they were trying to combine, right? And so they they stopped that. These, but these phone companies are they're going to start making plays because you know streaming is the new deal. Makes it you're, you're trying to become bigger, more diversified, <laughs> have different things. Cool. Um, this week, where did it go? This happens every day. You might want to number your pages. I might, but then the printer. Did you have problems with the printer this morning? I yeah, you had to put this. I had to put paper in it. Ah, I'll bring it up. For I the had next to one. open it up. Hey, James, do you have a limerick top of mind? I sure do. Uh, I know. No, nobody loves limericks more than James. I love limericks. He likes them. Limericks. I love them. Here I got. Here's here. one for you. Yeah. A dying mosquito exclaimed, "A chemist has poisoned my brain." <laughs> the cause of his sorrow was paradichloro diphenyl Trichloroethane. <laughs> huh. I don't get it. Is that like a, is that like oh that's like a, a chemical. that's a terminator joke or an exterminator joke. Yeah. Yeah. Exterminator joke. Hmm. Yeah, I guess you have to know the dra- the chemicals uh that destroy mosquitoes in order to enjoy that limerick. Well, I I thought it's pretty common knowledge that everyone knows what paradichlorodiphenyl trichloroethane is. Yeah. No. Okay. Well, that was awkward. But you know what? Just so you know, there is some guy in a Terminix truck laughing his head off. Like that one. He lucky that limerick. Hey, it's limerick day and nutty fudge day. If you have some nutty fudge that you'd like to contribute, give us a call. 1-855-CHAT-BYU. We're trying uh, to raise nutty fudge fudge to change the world. Give us a call. Or at Dr. Matt Show. Love love to talk to you about how we can get some of your nutty fudge into the studio. 
We'll take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to be talking with Dr. Lisa Miller, who's been doing research on uh, truly the power of spirituality to create a happier life. Ironically, it's on the tale of just finding out fewer people are associating with uh, Christianity in the United States. We'll take a break. Come back right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever heard the term positive psychology? Well, at Penn State University, they define it this way. It's the scientific study of strengths that enable individuals and communities to thrive. It's positive psychology, uh, or is positive psychology the answer to the question that uh, Aristotle started asking many moons ago? How are we supposed to be happy? Dr. Lisa Miller of the Teachers College at Columbia University suggests that spirituality is a key to happiness. Dr. Miller, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, it's terrific to join you this morning. Thank you for including me back. You bet. Great to have you. And teach us about um, this this positive psychology movement, because it seems like historically when we would uh, talk about psychology, it was kind of abnormal psychology we were always focused on, things that were kind of broken or not normal. But positive psychology, how is it different? So roughly 10, 12 years ago, there was a wonderful new direction initiated by Mark Feldman and then many, many other fine scientists, Chris Peterson, of course, Chikvet Mahai, John Hyde, um, Barbara Fredrickson, a number of wonderful scholars um, carved out a whole new taxonomy of the good things in life when we're referring to the inner terrain of our psyche. Many of them were based on virtues. Hmm. And now, recently, our own lab has taken this very important work and started to see that the virtues, whether we're talking about ethical virtues or the type of virtues that translate into effectiveness in the world, like grit and determinism, determination, whether the virtues actually have a deeper root. Hmm. And what we're finding is that very often... Character strengths and virtues go hand-in-hand with a deep personal spirituality. The kids don't stick with things and persist simply for the sake of persistence, but because they see themselves in service to a higher power, a greater good, there is in children an enormous wisdom and a deep spirituality that guides their sense of meaning and purpose and calling. It's really that sense of relationship to the sacred world that can help them to go beyond, have rich determinism. And uh, it's really that... Yeah, no, Lisa, that and we're we, something we're kind of losing your phone a little bit. So what uh, I'm wondering, because it's it's really important, I think, what you just said. Let me paraphrase it. And um, well, then what we'll do is we'll take a break and then we'll, we'll give you we'll give a chance to see if we can get your, you on a better line. For some reason, we're not quite hearing you right. But what I heard you say is um, you've got 
the kids. So we we've always kind of known that certain virtues or certain values, ethical values, you know, integrity, honesty, those things were always important. And then what I'm hearing you say is a lot of these other um, kind of positive drivers of people's psyche, positive psychology, is are, are things that are now actually being tied to deeper ethical values found more in a spiritual uh, kind of realm or in a spiritual sense. And some of the research I know you've been doing is on adolescents and young adults and the impact of having a spiritual connection, a spiritual belief system helps facilitate these ethical virtues. And also it helps, it sounds like, uh, from what I was hearing you just say there, um, it connects them to a deeper purpose in life, which makes life more meaningful. So um, it's it's a fascinating idea. And, and I've always been a big believer in positive psychology simply because um, knowing that we're broken doesn't seem to change things. A lot of people know that they've got problems. But to know what to do with them is is very powerful. And I know that uh, in positive psychology, having some answers for what we could be doing and should be doing um, – it's it's truly the key to happiness. So let's take a break. We're going to come back uh, more with Dr. Lisa Miller, see if we can't get a better line there so that we can hear what she's saying. Seriously important information, folks. Spirituality, it drives a deeper purpose, a deeper meaning, which in the end produces a healthier being uh, on this earth, according to uh, latest research in positive psychology. Interesting stuff, my friends. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Friends to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, joining us is Dr. Lisa Miller. She's a professor of psychology and education, director of clinical psychology, and the director of the Spirituality and Mind Body Institute at Teachers College at Columbia University. She um, is also the author of an upcoming book, The Spiritual Child The New Science of Parenting for Health and Lifelong Thriving. Dr. Lisa Miller, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank oh, you. There it's you great go. To be talking with you, Matt. You bet. It's good to have you back. And man, we can hear you so much better now. So you were teaching us about the virtues. Uh, you know, we've always kind of you know believed in in virtues and ethical virtues, and then character strengths. But what you're finding, we heard at the in your last segment before we lost you, is you're finding that a, a deep connection to kind of spiritual beliefs or religious beliefs. It it produces a, a healthier, happier life. For kids. Indeed. So the character strength is like this beautiful blossom on the deep-rooted tree. And really where, as parents, we need to start is with the deep-rooted tree. It's this deep spiritual connection that our children feel to the higher power, whether we say God, Allah, Jesus, Hashem, whatever yeah. faith tradition we may be from. There is a universal spirituality in every single child. Every child is born innately spiritual. And this natural spirituality is shown through multiple levels of scientific inquiry. We see that in twin studies, looking at kids raised together and kids raised apart, there is indeed a heritable contribution to spirituality, just like 
IQ or temperament huh. or you know, shoe size. There's in every child an innate capacity to experience the transcendent and to form a loving, transcendent relationship. In, in all beings. In every child. That every is amazing. And so, and so um, because that's a part of who we are then, and we can validate that through our studies, um, we, we need Absolutely. to somehow foster that. It is foundational. That. Yeah. It is foundational to who we are. And in fact, Matt, I think you hit the nail on the head, which is not only is spirituality part of our composition, it actually is central to optimal functioning. And here, in The Spiritual Child, I write about this at great length. A child whose personal spirituality is supported by parents as central to development develops, when they enter adolescence, a sense of a sacred self, of being valuable beyond anything they do or don't do, any place they're from or not from. It is their core sacred self. And that is quite a contrast to the often normative cultural idea of a performance self, Mm. where I'm only as good as my last math test or football game, and my friendships are only as good as they can do for me. That that Uh, is not such a hand a child. But a sacred self looks to the friend or the family and sees sacred relationships, and those are worth, worth sticking to. Those are relationships of forgiveness and commitment, and they're also relationships of encouragement rather than constant competition, mm-hmm. as we find with the performance self. Yeah, the, the sacred self is always, we can just say, inherently of worth. There's no need to prove it. It's uh, Teilhard de Chardin has that quote that's one of my favorite, is uh, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Beautifully put. Isn't that fantastic? And, he, and part of that, to me, says, yeah, if we see ourselves, you call it the performer self, which is kind of the kind of the narcissistic, I guess, view of you're only as good as your last event, your last action, your last touchdown um, versus the sacred self. There's always inherent value and worth. No matter what, you are always of value, infinite value. And as parents, this that you so beautifully put can be supported in our children. In the spiritual child, I see very clearly that science Shows. It's not a matter of my opinion or anyone else's. Right. My science shows there's a natural spirituality in every child. It's about 30% formed by heredity. And the other two-thirds are radically influenced by the encouragement of our parents and the spiritual values of our community. Spiritual development is the most important thing that we can support in children and teens. It is more important than any other contribution we can make to their lives. Hmm. And in The Spiritual Child, I talk about concrete ways we can do this, but I intend them only as suggestions because the parent is the ultimate authority on his or her own child. Yeah, we need to read them, don't we? We need to know where they are and... I mean, because like you're saying, it's not even it's it's not it's not a religion per se or a faith. It's spirituality. It'll transcend it. Yes, spirituality exists in every human being, but it takes form and it gains a language and a practice through the rich array of religious traditions, as well as for some families outside of religious yeah. traditions. Nature. I did yeah. interview many families for whom spirituality is found in their 
family bond mm-hmm. at the dinner table mm-hmm. and for whom spir- their spiritual practice is family time in nature. That's they beautiful. are aware yeah. that there is a sacred transcendent presence, but these families often do it outside of a specific religious tradition. And, and and this, okay, so as parents, we need to foster this, teach this, communicate more about this. I mean, use it maybe as a guide more as we are, as we're discussing stuff with our kids. How do we do that? And as you suggest, even the lead foot, even the lead foot, that the first thing that we might greet our child with in the morning is, good morning, you know, it's daddy and mommy right here who loves you. Right. Or did you dream? You know, I'm so grateful. Thank you, God, or whatever word is in your home. Yeah. For you know, beautiful child, you know, Lila, Jason, whatever your child's name may be, but that that starts the day, that sustains the day. There is data that the parent who is transparent all day long about his or her own spiritual life, who prays out loud, who invites the child to sit by their side in contemplation or meditation, the parent who is offering a window into his or her own spiritual life, supports the development in the child of spiritual life. There's nothing as a parent that's as helpful as being honest and forthright and generous about our own spiritual experience. Hmm. And this actually makes um, our children happier. It makes them more secure. It teaches how my child benefits from me being more spiritually uh, open. So here's where science truly is jaw-dropping. The very finest science published in peer-reviewed leading medical journals shows incontrovertibly that the greatest source of resilience a child can have is a strong personal spirituality. The spiritual life in a teen protects 80% against recurrent major depression, the darkest, deepest form of suffering. Personal spirituality protects 40% against heavy substance use and abuse and the downward spiral. And personal spirituality protects 70% against unwanted and unprotected sexual encounters in kids. So there is nothing more helpful to health, mental health, physical health, and thriving than spirituality. That is not, again, a matter of opinion, mine or anyone else's. That is published in top peer-reviewed medical journals, like the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, the Journal of Adolescent Health. So if I'm a parent and I want to think that my child is protected as best I can possibly suit them up against the most prevalent forms of suffering and risk, I focus foremost on supporting their spiritual development, the formation of their natural spirituality as the hub of adolescent growth and and individuation, becoming who they are. And you called it resilience. Resilience is a big – there's a big movement, right, in kind of the – in, um, in the in the research with teens, especially kids, especially about helping them not just be, you know, medicated properly per se, but also being able to be resilient to the problems of life and actually more, I guess, uh, adaptable and more able to deal with the challenges, skilled at dealing with and the now challenges. You put that so beautifully because hard times will come to every child. Spirituality doesn't mean that misfortune never knocks right. the door. Right. But in the spiritual child, I expand on exactly the point that you are opening up. In the spiritual child, I share data that the way that 
hard times and even perhaps the normative first round of depression is experienced in adolescence is a doorway to spiritual growth. Mm. Most teens have some level of depression, and that is a knock at the door to cross into a personal sense of spiritual understanding, spiritual growth. It may also involve for kids treatment. It may also, and often does and should. It may also involve for kids medication and often does and should. But it always includes spiritual deepening and understanding that becomes a platform for life and protection, Hmm. resilience against future deep episodes. The next time misfortune knocks, there's a spiritual inner core prepared to handle it. And our data published in the American Journal of Psychiatry, a flagship journal, shows that if the first depression is met with spiritual formation, then in adulthood, that young adult is about 90% protected against deep major depression. Next time there's sorrow, it doesn't need to spiral downward when there's a spiritual way of leaning in for hard times. Wow. That's amazing. Because there's a lot of people practicing spiritual, you know, doing spiritual practices, whether it's meditation, you know, or, you know, religious practice, reading scriptures or praying. But they've, it's interesting, they may not fully know the importance of of teaching it day in and day out to their children as a way to help, you know, stabilize them, make them more resilient. It's powerful. Exactly. It is the spiritual core of the child that stands the test of time. And it is the spiritual core that as parents, we can buttress by day in and day out, being supportive of our child's growing spirituality, being willing to listen to things that we don't always want to hear, and leaning in in a deep, heartfelt, authentic, spiritual way. Now, in adolescence, the me and not me formation of the teen self, the individuation of the teen self, can feel like a big slap in the face to us as parents, mm-hmm. because part of what they're thinking is, do I believe everything that mom and dad have taught me all my life? And when that felt slap in the face comes, actually, it's helpful to know that means they do care yeah. about spiritual formation. That means they are wrestling with it, and they have no choice in adolescence but to really tangle with, is this me or not me? Not because my parents or community said it was good, but because my own spiritual compass can align. Mm. That is the hallmark of true spiritual growth and individuation. And if we can get behind those moments as parents, we're buttressing the spiritual core. And that, that is the hub of a thriving optimal life. Oh, yeah. Again, we're talking with Dr. Lisa Miller, who is a professor of psychology and education, also director of clinical psychology and the director of the Spirituality and Mind-Body Institute at Teachers College, Columbia University. She's also got a book coming out. Is it out yet, Lisa, or or when is it going to be released? It just came out this week. Holy cow. The Spiritual Child, the New Science of Parenting for Health and Driving. And it actually, in the first week, appears that it will be a bestseller. Oh, that's I'm great. thrilled because our country is ready to yeah. talk about spirituality. It should not be the thing we whisper uh-huh. or need to step aside to discuss. Spirituality is our core hub of health and well-being. It should be the first word out of our mouth if we want to talk about that. And it seems like it's something we could all agree on 
Um, because I mean, it's a, a, for the, everybody, it belongs to everybody. Yeah, regardless of the practice, your method of practicing it, it still it belongs to everybody, and everybody could somehow connect to it. So it, it seems like the universal for us. Talk, um, uh, talk about with us the some more tools. What are some more ways that I, as a parent, could tune into and and help my child to recognize their spiritual self and and kind of know who they are there. Right. Well, starting when the child is very young, we're very accustomed as parents to naming everything around us, orange, banana, tree, sunset. Language tells the child it's real, that daddy and mommy say it's real, and it brings their cognitive focus to their experience. We need to run the same naming constant dialogue on spiritual experience. For young children, simply naming things like direct knowing, feeling God, just knowing, inner wisdom, whatever language is true in your home. Hmm. And then as our children move into adolescence, the nuances of spiritual life, dark night of the soul, illumination, sudden felt presence, the true language of inner spiritual life is right there made accessible by a parent tells the child that this is real, it forms and paves a roadway to get back to those fleeting moments, which are birthright, but need support. Mm. They need the language too, right? And they need to kind of tie the language to the experience. Exactly. And and this never ends. I mean, this could be just watching a a show or a, a news report about a disaster in Nepal, but then you could invoke back that... Can you imagine being in that situation? What would that feel like? What did you feel when you saw that happening? And then talk about your God or, or your spiritual self. That's so powerful. That you, that's the most important thing we can do, that every event is a spiritual event. If we mm. Oh, we're losing you again, Lisa. Sorry, we're losing you again. Oh, no, you know what? Now talk. Go ahead. So, Matt, I think your point is tremendously important, that the spiritually infused life is shown to the parent, shown by the parent to the child in every little moment and foremost in perhaps the most shocking or difficult to understand event. Mm. The parent is ultimately, for every child, the parent is a spiritual ambassador, We're showing them around, we're showing them the spiritual lay of the land, and we're showing them with clarity that they always stand on spiritual bedrock. That's huge. This needs to be taught, and it only sticks and it only has a language if we constantly view ourselves as ambassadors. Yeah. Well, in a weird way, that it's so much more sacred to be a spiritual ambassador than maybe being even a mother or a father. You're, you're, you're guiding a soul. You're guiding an eternal being, this eternal spirit. And it's, boy, I mean, it changes how you parent. If you could see your children as something you're, you're guiding or stewarding spiritually. It is our highest call. I agree fully with you, Matt. It is a sacred calling to parents to be an ambassador. And as you suggest, spiritual ambassadors can be a grandparent. They can be yeah. a committed stepmother, or, or it could be someone who is a teacher or mentor that's truly made the commitment to be a spiritual ambassador. The data shows in peer review research that a child has a natural spiritual compass and a real 
taste for healthy, full spiritual life. So if a child has any access at all to a spiritually fulfilled person, ding, 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 the child aligns with that spiritually whole person and wants to take that in. There is a process of selective spiritual socialization. The child knows what is true and just drinks it in given the chance. Big brothers, big sisters, priests, ministers, rabbis, imams, so many people are positioned to be spiritual ambassadors with the clarity of the enormous impact, as you say, Matt, on guiding a soul, guiding a soul on earth. Yeah, what an honor, really. And yet, and I mean, and, it's, and even influencing the souls around us. I mean, I think if all of us could get this spiritual, you know, concept more uh, a part of our day, it would change how you get in a taxi. It would change how you, you know, let somebody drive next to you. It changes everything. And it would probably just connect you to higher peace and more resilience. It's powerful. Powerful I stuff. totally agree, and we have that choice. It's immediately available in this instant now to mm-hmm. say spirituality is my lead foot. That, you know, when I lose my cool with the barista at Starbucks, when I lose my cool with the waiter, when I cut someone on the traffic, if I can possibly, I go back and fix it. I apologize. Yeah. I don't need to be perfect. No, it, it's a conflict at work to pray or meditate or find you know, the perspective of the other person through a much bigger view, a spiritually inspired, larger view. Constantly, this is available to us. And the greatest gift of all is that the child is a spiritual light. The child is a truth speaker. If they're crying, there's often a reason that has to do other with other than food or being wet. You know, a child right. is a spiritual light. If a child says, you know, mommy, why are you so angry? That's an opportunity. If a child smiles at the person who no one else wants much to do with, that's an opportunity. The child is the spiritual knower, and to be a parent is inherently spiritually awakening. Man, I love it. I really do. Lisa, I think you're on to something like major. I mean, and it's the funny thing is, is you're, you're probably you're just back to what we all know, yet none of us go there. It's almost like taboo, like we shouldn't be talking about this. But um, it's it's so powerful. Earth, right? which, is, which is all of ours. Yeah. In the spiritual child, I say that this belongs to every single person, and I couldn't agree more. I fully agree with you, Matt. We know this. This is in our birthright. It's in our deep inner wisdom. And in this instant, we each have a choice to authorize ourselves, and with that all around us, to have a spiritual voice. Mm. Lisa Miller, you're amazing. Good work on this. Uh, The book, by the way, just out, uh, The Spiritual Child, The New Science of Parenting for Health and Lifelong Thriving. Go check it out. The Spiritual Child, uh, written again by our wonderful guest, Dr. Lisa Miller. Thank you so much. Folks, we got to connect to that, uh, that, that deep inner self, the spiritual self. We'll take a break, come back, do a little Coach's Corner, where I'm going to uh, talk about uh, body, mind, spirit, up next, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. What a cool idea. Uh, Did you know that there was so much research on the spiritual benefits um, and the health benefits of spirituality? So I see it all the time with my clients. They come in and uh, I I teach a a 
basic concept of body, mind, spirit, that everything we do, we are going to either have to orient from our body, our mind, or the way we think, or our spirit. Our spirit, I teach, basically knows peace. The example I always give, um, like adults, about the spirit is when you're holding your baby, you're in the middle of the night, you're not, you know, thinking he's going to be president or anything. You're just calm. You're rocking your baby to sleep. And you just feel love and peace and just, you just feel joy, right? To me, that's the power of the spirit. Spirit uh, is, and again, and she described it so beautifully, Dr. Lisa Miller did, spirit is is the essential form of who we all are. And every major religion is basically going to understand that there's some spiritual part of us. That spirit's always operating. I believe it's inside of each of us. Then we all have minds and we have bodies. The mind, the, so the spirit brings the peace. The mind wants to be popular. The mind wants to be pretty. The mind is the identity we've all set up for ourselves. So we come to this earth and when you sit there and you look at that cute baby and that baby's, you know, two months old or five months old or 10 months old and you're like, oh, you're so beautiful. Look at your eyes. You're so smart. You're the smartest baby. Oh, you throw that ball so hard. All of those different things start to create an identity for this child. And eventually that child is going to think that it is all of these things, blue eyed, blonde hair, whatever, throws a great curveball. But the problem is that's not who you are spiritually, right? So there's a little bit of a discord between who you are spiritually and who your mind thinks you are. You might even just think you're a a guy or a gal or you might think you're smart or you're not. Oh, yeah, I'm not very smart. I didn't do very well on the ACT. Failed the ACT. So all of a sudden, because you failed the ACT, your mind thinks that's who you are. Now, do you think your spirit cares about your ACT? Your spirit knows that you're this being that's been living and has existed and you're powerful beyond measure. Yeah, but I'm fat. That's my mind telling me I'm fat. Or I can orient from my body and my body basically wants pleasure or pain or procreate. That's pretty much what it brings or the party. What's for dinner? So sometimes we come to life and and we let our bodies, our desires direct us. Sometimes if I have fear, my body might feel fear because I've got to go talk to my boss about whatever. So my body creates chemistry. My mind makes up a story. Yeah, he's not going to like me because of this and this and this, which creates complexity. But at any point, we can get back to our spirit. So however you get to spirit, some meditate, some read scriptures, some will sing a hymn. Some will just think of their God. Imagine your God just holding you as you're, you know, walking in with you to go talk to your boss. If you have to go in with your God, what on earth is your boss going to do that will matter? You can still feel peace, right? So body, mind, spirit. And I'm telling you, I teach this all the time to people and they come in and once they can start to recognize if they're feeling you know, body, mind, or spirit, then we can get back to the spiritual core, I call it. We've got to get back to that spiritual sense of who we all are. And when we do, we feel peace instantly. Now, it doesn't change everything, right? It just changes how you see everything. If you just lost your spouse to cancer, you're going to probably have to operate at all three of those levels. Your body will miss that person. It will ache to be next to that person. It will create major pain chemistry. 
your mind will start creating major fears and convolutions like, oh, am I going to be able to make it? I don't know if I have enough money. I don't even know where the insurance is. What if I can't find somebody else? What if I what if nobody wants to be around me? Our fears start to come up. Fears don't exist in your spirit. They don't even exist in your body. Your body's going to respond to a stimulus. It's not just going to automatically feel the fear. Something's got to kick in, right? That might be the mind. So the mind starts to kick in and create stories for you. So a lot of times our grieving is us trying to manage our mind. A lot of times our fear, the most difficult things on this earth tend to be, I believe, conjured by the mind. So body, mind, spirit, we're doing it all the time. Coaching 101, the number one secret, let me tell you. You don't need to get in spirit. You already are in spirit. You just need to notice where you are. And the minute you notice if you're in body, mind, or spirit, you're already moving to spirit. Because the only thing that notices its mind is the spirit. Right? The mind doesn't notice itself. That's, it thinks that that's who you are. But when you start looking at yourself like, are you kidding me? I'm making such a big deal over something that's so stupid. The minute you're starting to think that way, you're already moving into your, your spirit. Again, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. We're not just human beings having a spiritual experience. It's, it's the most powerful tool I've ever seen. I have a son that's in Mexico serving a, a mission for the LDS Church in northern Mexico. And we, had, we got to talk to him on Mother's Day. And he just sat there and spoke spiritually to my other son that's about to go on a mission. And it was the most amazing spirit-to-spirit conversation you've ever seen. And I could see my son's mind spinning because, oh, he's so scared to go out and doesn't know what he wants to do. And my other son just basically shared his testimony, his belief, and the spirit talked to spirit. It was the most incredible thing. Folks, everybody out there, the people in the car in front of you, they're all spiritual beings. Whatever your religion, we're all just spiritual beings trying to make it through this crazy thing we call life. That's why we do this show, to give you the tools to help you find the good in the world. We'll take a break and back at the top of the hour. More news, more ideas right here on The Matt Townsend Show. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. By the way, today is the day of limericks. And, uh... Nutty Fudge. And Nutty Fudge Day. Happy Nutty Fudge Day to you. So write a limerick about Nutty Fudge. Write a limerick about Nutty Fudge and send it to Dr. at Dr. Matt Show. And if it's appropriate and yeah. healthy, we will we, we've been share look, it on the air. We've been looking online for limericks. And what? apparently there's, there's a lot a, of obscenity. There's a lot of, a lot of dirty-minded obscenity limerick uh, creators. Folks, this is a family show. Yeah. We can't just put any limerick on the air. Not safe for radio. Dirty, dirty people. Got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking a little bit about um, where do you think the feeling, you know, betrayal hurts. It hurts when somebody has uh, has gone against you, broken that trust, somehow hurt you. We're going to be talking about a study with Dr. Susan Krauss Whitborn about uh, why it hurts so much and what, you know, what, what we're supposed to learn from this idea of betrayal, maybe even some ideas on how to move on from that. We'll be getting to, to that. 
Also, some news headlines in a minute, but also a little bit later, BYU Sports Nation will be, you know, teeing up with them, finding out what they're going to be good, talking about. Good golf reference there. I like to tee it up. Good job. Teeing it up uh, with uh, Spencer and Jerem there at BYU Sports Nation. Then, hero of the day, one of the a great story of two parents and their love of their child that eventually cost both of them their lives. We'll be talking about that. But first, let's get to the headlines. Any interesting news going on? Terry. I wanted this last hour, but this is unofficially palindrome week. Oh, I once had a palindrome. Today is 5-12-15 if you write the date that way. 5-12-15. Or if you want to write it backwards, it's 5-12-15. That, that's called a pal- palindrome? Yes. That seems uh, – but this entire week is palindromatic. Yes. Easy for you to say. Of course, a week of palindromes isn't that rare. Since 2011, each year has had a streak of 10 straight dates that can be written as a palindrome. Mm-hmm. But this is a week of them. Well, 10 days. Yeah. It'll, 10. Go, it'll, it'll extend until it turns, you know, 19 will yeah. still work. And Whoa, 20 slow down. Work. What are you talking about? Uh, and next year it'll happen again, but it'll be in June because it's the sixth month. And then the next year it'll be in July because of the seventh and eighth. So, and so ninth. if you love yourself some palindromes, yeah, if you're really this into is palindromes, the next ten days that you got to enjoy. Have at it. Uh, mystery radio signals. Yes, messing with our big astronomers apparently for years. Beginning in the late nineties, once or twice a year, astronomers operating a telescope at the Parks Observation uh, Observatory in New South Wales, Australia, would pick up mysterious radio signals. <gasps> These signals were known as. Peritrons. Extraterrestrial? They don't know. Described in a recent report as millisecond duration transients of terrestrial origin. What? Yeah. They don't know what these things are. They were baffled for years. That is The researchers scary. believe the peritrons were linked to atmospheric activity like lightning strikes mm. or they held this belief. They, they believe that for like 17 years. Or maybe like a UFO's hovering. Until this year when they installed a new receiver to monitor the interference. And mm-hmm. this is from the the Guardian. The actual source of it was the microwave in the break room. Really, uh, the receiver detected signals at two point four gigahertz, which is where a microwave operates. Really, and well, hold on. do you hear a microwave? I do. I wonder what they're cooking. So it was a microwave in the break room at messing the observatory. Up the telescope workers were heating up their lunch. Oh, oh, oh there it is. I think that's and, James and, getting his And what hot they pocket. said, it only happened when the antenna was turned a specific way <laughs> and when they opened the microwave before it stopped. Jimmy, you cooking in the microwave? <laughs> so if you didn't wait for the, you know, the time to run out and it beeps three times, then you open it. If you yeah. just open it before it stops, it would release a, a little bit of radiation that messed with the antenna <laughs> and they would think that it was either lightning strikes or like you said, a UFO. Uh, that or, just reminds me of like a Far Side cartoon. Yes. The, the really smart scientists are being messed up by Jimmy in his hot pocket. It's nonsense. That's great. But it was funny. At least they figured it out before they called in the nukes. <clears throat> yeah, it's like, <laughs> we got some alien activity. Okay, I'll be there just making a hot pocket real quick. <laughs> Come on, Jimmy. A new study yes. found that electrocuting your brain makes you dumber. What? Yeah. Wouldn't you love to see how they did that? Okay, Jimmy, when you're done with your hot pocket... Now, We're going to put this electrode on your brain. It says there's a relatively well-known theory that applying an electric current to your head in just the right way can improve cognition. Okay. Have you heard of this? No. Okay. Apparently it's well-known. Okay. But not – I mean we, we know it's not because when they're tasing somebody. But they said in the right way. 
Oh, that's the wrong way. Yeah, apparently tasing is the wrong way. It's a theory popular with scientists, internet uh, do-it-yourselfers, which is always a good way to go, and students at 2 a.m. before a final. But (laughs) according to a new double-blind study, transcranial direct current stimulation, or TDSC, or uh, seizure, makes you the opposite of clever. This is the part I thought. Makes you clever. Scientists at the University of North Carolina School of Arts, Mm -hmm. known as the home of the fighting pickles. Say no more. Yeah. They have released a paper in behavioral brain research detailing the double-blind study. They have found that brains that zapped for a real recorded they, – they recorded a lower IQ with significantly worse performance <laughs> on visual puzzles and sections of the test. Well, you know what? So, uh, this is what we call in research a selection error problem because who would be willing to have their brain electrocuted? They found 41 people to I help. I know, but apparently with lower education – with lower IQ. I so uh, I do it. Uh, the hot pocket. I get a hot pocket when I do it? Yeah, Jimmy. Hop in the chair. We're just going to strap this little metal probe to your brain. <laughs> strap it to your brain. Hit it, Jimmy! So electrocuting yourself makes you dumber. It might be a dumb thing to do in the first place, Yeah, but it makes you dumber in the end also. All you need to do is remember the first time you were electrocuted. Right. Do you, have you all been electrocuted? You know, you make that one little mistake. You grab the little... What was it? Second grade, first grade, oh, no, no, I grabbed no, 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 no. a straight pin and yeah. jammed it in the wall socket. Oh, that was not there. Yeah, I was, was like, wow, that was weird. Not doing that again. That tingled. <laughs> a Southern California man stands accused of raking in more than $4 million by selling sham In-N-Out Burger franchises oh, my word. to investors in the Middle East. Prosecutors say that Craig Stevens, 55, started sending out emails in January of 2014 telling people that franchises of the popular West Coast burger chain were available at 150000 per, per location, uh, with royalties costing 250000 a year. Wow. The scheme brought in $4.27 million, charging documents said, and Stevens allegedly committed wire fraud last June by sending out counterfeit in-and-out licensing agreements via email to an investor in Lebanon. Wow. So he's selling it to people out of the country. Yeah, he pled guilty on Monday. Was that going to be the first Lebanese In-N-Out burger? It probably would have been. It would have been a hit. <laughs> that would so have been a hit. The guy pled not guilty to the charges, even though they have the emails and hmm. the conversations he's had. And he's, he's free on $10,000 bond. So what? don't pick up an In-N-Out franchise. Well, a guy can't made. sell a franchise? Get off my back. I'm just... It's Obama. I didn't have a job, so I decided to sell franchises. Man, nitpicky. Well, and finally, jail. Yeah. a survey conducted by a British website mm-hmm. has found that 29% of the survey respondents would rather lose a finger what? than a broadband connection to the web. <laughs> if you had to choose yeah. a finger or broadband connection to the web... A third would rather have their finger lopped off. There's a poll of 250,000 or 250 or 2,500 people. They what? appeared to be very attached to their internet. And what's going on? <laughs> Are we chopping? Oh, we're connecting to the internet now. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, is a st- <laughs> that is a stingy finger. <laughs> that, is, that is messed up. Turn it off. (laughs) Turn it off. Just let it go. 
Just let it go. <laughs> That's live audio from people choosing the internet over their fingers. <laughs> Man. 25% of respondents uh, said they wouldn't be able to make a choice between saving a finger and an internet connection. <laughs> that That is so sad. That went farther than we had planned. <laughs> we just wanted the chopping, and all of a sudden it turned into celery. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't get to power tools. What if we pulled out some power tools? Where did you get the finger chopping audio? That's crazy. That was great. So yeah, people. Uh, people. What would you give up for the internet, Matt? Well, I might how give far, up this show. How far would you go to be connected? Oh man. Well, I give up a lot of money every month. You do a lot, as most people do. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't give up a finger. Is that too far? I'd give up one of my kids' fingers. Okay, somebody else's finger. Those. Isn't that weird? But yeah, you know what? I would probably be willing to lose a finger to have permanent. Broadband. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the third. They, they, I wouldn't do it the way James was trying to take my finger off. Because, <laughs> again, they conduct the survey trying to figure out how far people would go. I think you're cutting celery. Is that how you lose a finger? It like, sounded like celery. Yeah, like when you're cutting celery. Yeah, maybe. Then you might lose a finger. So what was the study? It's sad. Now I'm 29 percent of people. <laughs> I'm taking my coat off. 29% said they would rather lose a finger than their broadband connection. <laughs> well, let me just tell you, it doesn't sound pretty. No, it doesn't. But they'd be, they'd be connected. They'd have their if phones. If it has to sound great. like that, yeah. But if it's going to sound like that, I don't want anything to do with it. That's just messed up. Well, good stuff. Good stuff. Keep your fingers, folks. Just get a broadband company to bring you some Wi-Fi. Uh, today, we're going to be talking with Susan Krauss Whitborn. We'll take a break and uh, talk to her about, you know, trust. And, you know, when you when you feel trust and then the trust is broken and you feel betrayal, where's all this coming from? She's going to uh, update us on some of her latest research and help us understand how we maybe manage through the sense of betrayal from others. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Bringing you all the latest and greatest right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever wondered why it hurts so much when somebody betrays you or why you're so able to earn trust with others and not earn it with with others? Why is it that trust is so hard to find yet so painful when we lose it? Well, who better to teach us than Dr. Susan Krauss Whitborn is joining us. She's a professor of psychological and brain sciences at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. And she's going to talk to us about an experiment that tests people's trust reactions in response to betrayal. Dr. Uh, Susan Krauss Whitborn, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you, Matt. It's great to be back. Great to have you. And uh, this, it's really interesting because we feel very real pain, don't we, when, when somebody hurts us? We absolutely do. And some of us are especially likely to feel that pain. 
What, 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 talk to us about the study and, and what you're finding. Also about, because is it connected to trust as well? So is it the degree to which I trust somebody that I'm going to feel the pain? How does this all work? Absolutely. Um, so let me clarify. I didn't actually do the study myself. It was done in China yeah. at the University of Electronic Science and Technology. Mm. Okay. Um, and but it was such an interesting study. Uh, I just had to cover it. Um, I like today blog. Yeah. In fact, let's make sure everybody knows you you blog for Psychology Today, yes, and um, just a great resource with tons of awesome articles. That's how come we always grab you to get on the show because you're you're pretty good at what you do there, Susan. Oh, thank you, Matt. I appreciate that. You bet. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I try to look for studies that um, I think will be will speak to people uh, and their relationships, which you know, relationships are the most important areas of our lives psychologically. Um, and in the case of betrayal, n- perhaps none more important because we do learn to trust. I mean, we learn to trust from uh, our very earliest days on this earth. Right. We, we need to trust. Um, we we trust that our caregivers will take care of us. Um, and not not neglect us. So, what tr- in this study though? It, it it they took this very hypothetical experimental situation to try to see if they could manipulate people's reactions. And it was it was like a game hmm. um, where you uh, you undergo a transaction with somebody who you can't actually see. So the people in the study thought they were playing with, against an opponent. And but they weren't really. This was all experimentally set up. But yeah. the situation was rigged so that you were told, well, you have to invest this amount of money, and you're going to give it to your opponent, and then your investment will be doubled or tripled. And you should definitely invest something. Don't invest nothing. And they mm. gave them experimental money to spend. So what happened in the betrayal condition was the uh, you gave them, you know, whatever, 10 pieces of experimental money, and the opponent took it. And never gave it back. So there was never any investment. It's just you handed over your money and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> so that was. <laughs> that that set you up like, oh, well, that was, I got ripped off. Yeah. Yeah. So then they went to part two, which was whether the opponent would actually apologize or restore, try to restore trust by giving the money back hmm. um, or giving the money back and saying they're sorry or just doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> what did they find yeah. out there? Well, um, people didn't like being cheated, basically. Um, they liked the apology. Uh, they especially liked getting their money back. Um, but then there was another little factor to consider, and that was whether they had people sniff oxytocin. <laughs> <laughs> just, in, just in some guy's sock? Or, I mean, where, just, they, they just have it bottled, I guess, huh? I'm like, I don't know where you get a, where do you get your oxytocin from? <laughs> Well, uh, I guess you they, can't get it yeah. at CVS, I'm pretty okay, sure. Okay, yeah. Um, probably a good thing. Um, but it is the trust hormone, so to speak. Right. And it is what is involved in bonding between the mother and infant. Um, but it's also thought to improve people's empathy um, as well as their trust. So what happened was uh, some of the people got oxytocin and some of the people got nothing, uh, a fake spray. And and then, uh, to make this even better, they manipulated the gender of the person and then huh. how high they were in something called forgiveness. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Think forgiving people forgive more, especially when they're given oxytocin, right? Right. Well, no. See, so that's, so that's, they don't, so that's the love, so that's so interesting. Now they're really playing with them because the oxytocin makes them bond 
it might even make them like feel like they're enamored. Right. Um, so I had to get through and describe the whole study yeah. all at once because it had all these stages. But the bottom line is people who were high in forgiveness uh, and had the oxytocin really hated the betrayal. And really? they didn't even accept the uh, apologies afterwards. Um, they were they just were not happy no matter what. So if you run into a person like this in real life and you betray this person, uh, nothing you say is basically going to make a difference Interesting. afterwards. That, that's somebody that's high in forgiveness. Yeah. So th- they're not really very forgiving. Well, they would be under normal circumstances, but not when you let betray them. them astray and then um, sort of heighten their tendency to want to trust. Ah, interesting. Yeah, they feel taken. Yeah, they feel exposed. Yes. Interesting. Exactly. Exactly. But for the average Joe, the rest of the people, they when when the when the oxytocin was on board, were they more likely to forgive and 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 get over the betrayal? Um, Yes. Huh. Yeah, I mean, that would, uh, yes, because it does help in rest, restoring trust. Um, so it, it was the, uh, again, you had to look at all these different, you know, factors because they they didn't really, they weren't that interested in the main effect. They wanted to see what happened when they put all the, all the elements of the study together. Yeah. So in the end, uh, betrayal hurts depending on, really, on more on how you're going in than what happens to you. If I go yeah. in as a forgiver, I'm more likely to not forgive <laughs> if I'm betrayed. Yes, that's right. That's so it's, interesting. It's so counterintuitive. It is. Um, so, but it's saying that it, it, trusting people probably do get ripped off a lot. Yeah. So they're probably just more sensitive. I mean, they, they didn't look in the study how many times have they actually been betrayed. But if a, if a trusting, gullible person is getting taken advantage of, um, and they really learn by hard experience, and they become very, very resentful. Hmm. Did they talk about genders? Was there a difference between men and women? Yes. It was the women, the forgiving women. Um, and women generally have higher oxytocin levels yeah. anyway. Now, the trouble is that you might have had to really jack up the dose uh, <laughs> to get the same effect in men because they do have lower levels. Uh, to begin with. It's such an interesting study. So forgiving women were the ones that were less, that were that were more hurt by betrayal. Yes, that's right. Oh, how interesting is this? And it really, when it, so when you look at it, how do you, how do you see that, um, I mean, betrayal is going to be a normal part of any relationship. I mean, even if the betrayal was just subtle, like I just wasn't nice to you that day. Um, is there anything that we can learn just for the day to day? Yes, uh, you, trust is really so basic to all of human interaction. Um, without trust, uh, people really can't get on—not just on, in their romantic life, but in their work life. Um, you know, people, managers have to trust employees. Employees have to trust managers. Everybody's got to trust the boss. The boss has to trust all the employees. I mean, yeah. we all just build everything on trust and reputation. So we have to keep that uppermost in mind. When you are break, violating somebody's trust, you are violating something very, very basic to the way we 
all get along with each other and can get along with each other. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it's a it's kind of a, a tangled web, as I always say on the show. Let's do this. We're going to take a break. Again, we're speaking with Susan Krauss Whitborn, and uh, she's walking us through an article that she wrote about from a study out of China. And she wrote about it on Psychology Today on her blog there. We'll come back talking more about trust, how to restore trust. And, uh, and really, the impact of betrayal. More right here, up next on The Matt Townsend Show. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone is Susan Krauss Whitborn, and she is a professor of psychological and brain sciences at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. She also um, received her PhD in developmental psychology from Columbia University and completed a postdoctoral respecialization program in clinical psychology at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. She uh, also is a blogger. If you go to psychologytoday.com, has a wonderful blog there. And we're talking about a, a blog that she wrote, you know, focusing on a study that was out of China about trust and building trust. It's really fascinating. By the way, Susan, welcome back. Thank you, Matt. Um, it is fascinating because the study, uh, normally when you put oxytocin into the situation, it tends to build trust. But not if you've been burnt, and not if you're te- if you tend to be a forgiving female. Yeah, well, right? Very well said. Right. So if you're a forgiving yeah. female and you've been burnt, yeah. So that's interesting because um, it, it might say why sometimes like an, an affair or infidelity with a trusting, forgiving person, you can't just say sorry. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it it takes a while. Um, But the other side of it is revenge. And we haven't really talked about revenge. Yeah, let's go there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, let's. uh, (laughs) Because the the betrayal often leads to a desire for revenge. Um, I mean, you want to invoke the punishment on the person who betrayed you. Hmm. And that's when things really get out of control, potentially. Because if all there was was, I don't forgive you, okay, too bad. Move on, uh, right. Yeah, that'd be one thing. But but no, the desire for revenge uh, just ups the ante and, and really contributes to a worsening of, uh, you know, everybody's feelings, but obviously the relationship. Well, and two, because you all of a sudden, not only have you been harmed by the event, you actually now are seriously becoming someone you're not going to like, because now you're seeking revenge and all that energy just probably keeps fostering more and more negativity about you. But it's really you're projecting it on another. They messed you up. Yep, that's right. Um, it's also interesting that they said uh, in the first phase of the study, you really can't just talk your way out of it. You can't just say sorry. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, because sorry doesn't it doesn't necessarily make you feel better. Now, as I said, apologies are nice, but they don't pay the bills. Yeah. Uh, so one way to make up for a, at least a financial wrong is to restore the money. You yeah. know, you, you, you took the money for somebody's security depart, uh, deposit on a lease, and you didn't give it back. So the person gets mad. Okay, you give it back. Well, it's kind of a bummer, but at least you got your money back. Right. And it didn't necessarily make them it, – it, it just 
it didn't even bring them back to neutral. They were still kind of not trusting you, but it, they were happier. That's right. That's right. <laughs> It's so, you know, we could have just done this experiment with just a bunch of, you know, 20 somethings, just or even 12 year olds. This is pretty common uh, stuff. How do we so so what would you suggest if there's been a betrayal, if somebody if we've hurt somebody, how would we go about restoring trust? What, what would your advice be? It takes time. Um, you, it takes time to build trust, and it takes time to regain it. And it probably, I don't know if there's like a half-life on this, and it takes X percent more mm-hmm. once you violate a trust. But you have to, you know, people do forgive. Uh, we, we are a forgiving, you know, kind of species. Yeah. And so it's not like forgiveness isn't possible at all. It just, and in the context of the study, which was, what, an hour or so, mm-hmm. uh, maybe two, um, you're not going to see that. But in a real relationship where, where people have a history, uh, it, it can be done. It just, it can be very discouraging at first. Uh, and you have to get over that revenge phase. But if you're consistently going at it, uh, eventually you can prove yourself. It seems like time is the factor because you'd need, I think, uh, um, oh, what's his name? John Gottman teaches the five to one kind of principle, five negatives erase, uh, or five positives erase a negative. So it might take to build trust, multiple, multiple experiences, you know, restoring the trust, showing how predictable you are before the, before they can actually feel that again. Right, and uh, the predictability, I'm glad you used that word, because that is part of what makes the violation of trust so hard, is you thought you could predict this person's behavior, and you can't. Mm -hmm. So part of it is, why was I such an idiot? You know, how could I have been so wrong? Yeah. And and you have that humiliation factor that enters into it, um, in addition to your disappointment um, in your partner. Yeah, that embarrassment, huh? Like, oh, and, and but then to your biology saying, well, you can't make that mistake again. Let's really amp this up. So your body's like, yeah, don't trust him because he really left you hanging out in the wind. That's right. And I mean, sometimes they talk about gut feelings. I guess this is pretty much it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The oxytocin gets going that there you know not too many more gut feelings than that, considering where it comes from, which is the bonding in infancy yeah, and this is interesting because you're you're also saying if you know heaven forbid you're not intentionally getting ready to go betray someone, but if you're if you are a betrayer um be realistic about what could actually happen in the outcome. It's not going to be, depending on the level of betrayal, it's not going to be something we snap our fingers and we're done. And it's not something that a good hug and kiss will get rid of. That's a great point. Uh, People need to be able to think about the consequences of what they're doing interpersonally. Um, And, you know, that's where kind of knowing somebody well really helps because you know what their buttons are uh, to push with strangers, you know, you're going to have to follow some more general principles. But with the people you really care about, um, you, you already have learned, maybe through hard experience, um, the kinds of betrayals that set them off, which may not seem like anything to you. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, what, it's not, what's the big deal? Yeah. But, but maybe that's it, too. You'd think that if you're in a relationship with somebody, you, you'd focus a little bit more on this. And, and, and I mean, just at least know the sensitivities and the betrayal levels. I I wonder if, too, there's just some people that once they've been burnt, if they've kind of already triggered that response, so they're more quickly to feel burnt or betrayed even when it's not a betrayal. 
Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, your memories of, uh, depending how bad it was, how traumatizing it was, uh, get reinvoked, and And that's one of the reasons people who had tough childhoods have so much difficulty in adult relationships, um, and, and we call them insecurely attached when it reaches uh, kind of the extreme point where you're really anxious about any kind of uh, commitment because you're used to, you're expecting to be betrayed or dropped. Yeah. Is, do you address these topics in your books? I mean, you, you, you've put out 16 books for crying out loud. <laughs> Susan, save some books for the rest of us to write. <laughs> oh, you're doing a pretty good job there, <laughs> You're a <Matt>. book hog, <laughs> Susan. I'm not worried about you. <laughs> I, I don't, not, to be, not to feel betrayed, but, but I mean, really, the, we need some insight, some deeper insight. I bet Search for Fulfillment, the, the, do, you, do you address stuff like this in those books? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, and, I mean, just looking at the lives of real people and what they go through, and uh, there's a whole chapter in that book about trust uh, because it's one of the stages of development according to the theory that my research has been based on. So we look at people with low levels of trust in childhood and what happens to them as they get older as everything sort of un- un- unrolls in their life experiences. On the other hand, people who are really high in trust seem to be able to bear a lot of, and it's not forgiveness, but trust, uh, be able to bear um, a a lot of um, uh, trauma without having it affect them at a a deep level of becoming cynical or uh, feeling demoralized. Yeah. Man, it's, it's the, the nowadays, I mean, we have so many more, Susan, so many more opportunities to learn and to grow I mean, just I was looking down your list of blog entries. Your blog's called Fulfillment at Any Age, and really, it's just there's so many things we could be learning, and so that's why we appreciate having you on um, again, Susan. Uh, thanks for your work, and and keep. Well, we'll have you back, and we always have you back because you're the best. Susan Krauss Whitborn's her name. Uh, go to the website. Go to Psychology Today, and just look up her name or look up her very very awesome uh, blog, Fulfillment. At any age, this is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. What do two foxes say? This is the Matt Townsend Show. We are now heading down to Studio B with uh, two of our great friends, Spencer and Jerem, hanging out, two foxes, and we want to find out what they say. What's up, brethren? That song is so two years ago. <laughs> is that what the fox says? Something like that. The fox has got an attitude. <laughs> oh, what a weird song. I know. You guys Aren't love they from it. Sweden? I don't know. That group? Oh, man. I don't know. It became like just this cold hit worldwide. Why? You sound angry. I am a little bit angry about that. (laughs) Why is that a famous song? Why didn't your song hit 10 years ago? Exactly. If that's going to hit, why couldn't your song Love Cuts (laughs) hit? Is that the name of that? Is that what it was? That was called? some nice tap dancing on your part. Did you just see come that? up with that on the fly. I was trying to think of something funnier, but that you know, 
That that was not a bad effort from you, Matt. Hey, guys, I've got some some great news. Uh, First of all, happy Nutty Fudge Day. Oh, is that the day today? Today's Nutty Fudge Day or Limerick Day. Mm, I was going to do a limerick. We just couldn't find one clean enough to do on BYU Radio. Okay. All right. I'll leave that to your crack staff, your crack, your wit, your crack staff. Hey, um, <laughs> keep going, keep going. <laughs> Just the staff. Battle Just the staff. Through. Don't be cracking anyone. <laughs> anyway, okay. Here's one. I've got two stories I have to tell you about because one of them, uh, that just reminded me of you guys. Okay, you ready? Um, um, just when you hear this sound, what what sound do you hear? Ooh. Okay. Con- okay. Construction? No. Oh, no. Okay, end it because, yeah, stop that. That's just horrible. Okay, so here's the story. We used that audio and we told this story and it turned into chaos. Here we go. Um, would you uh, – a survey conducted by a British website has found that 29% of the survey respondents would rather lose a finger oh. than a broadband connection to the web. Oh, what? These results came from a pool of 2,500 people who appear to be very, very attached to the Internet. 25% of the respondents said that they, would, they wouldn't be able to make a choice between saving a finger and an Internet connection. They couldn't choose. So here's the Reminds question. Reminds me of the Chris Farley SNL skit where he goes on a Japanese game show. <laughs> you haven't seen it, oh, and, and he bleeds all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. If you get a question wrong, they cut off your finger. Quaki Serpi Miku. So he freaks out. Mike Myers is the host, and he speaks Japanese the whole time. <laughs> so, would you guys? Would you rather lose a finger? No, not the way that we just demonstrated, not with that sound effect. But would you rather lose a finger or have broadband internet? I would rather have lifetime supply. A loss of broadband internet. I I don't want to lose a finger. Yeah. Well, so you would just be disconnected from yeah, great. the world sure. for the rest yeah, of your life? That would probably be a blessing in disguise. Probably true. Wait, so are you saying you'd have no internet the rest of your life? Yes, you would be in, you would be without internet forever. Mm, I'd have to think about this one. I know. Really? You would I give know. up a phalange? Yes. Yes, or a, or a tarsal, metatarsal, a toe. I don't know. I'll have to think about this. Now, by the I'm way, making a decision as you're thinking, this, Jerem, not even a question in my mind. This, this needs to be your new. This, answer. this needs to be your new research question. Your new question for the show today: finger or the internet? Or the internet? And if you me. had to lose a finger, which finger would you lose? Oh, how about this: BYU sports or like your left pinky, just like the top part where the nail is? Yeah, just the nubbins. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a totally different thing. This is the internet, you guys. The internet greater than BYU sports. Probably just because it's how you'll get BYU sports. Yeah, it's somewhere. how I commu- Yeah, it's a lot of community. I mean, I just that's what we do on our shows. We try to get you thinking. You still mm. have TV and radio and iPod and everything else. Okay, man, you just can't have an internet connection. Yeah, but, but everybody so, else has it, so you yeah. get your information through everybody else. You just keep borrowing everybody's. Yeah, like an old person. You're just one of those people that keep borrowing. Until somebody lops your finger off because they're sick of you borrowing. Did anybody in the history of mankind survive without the internet? Yeah, think about 20 but years I don't, ago. They yeah, but how many men have survived without fingers? Come on! It's a, <laughs> but they didn't, have, they didn't have the internet to know if exactly. they could lose it or not. They weren't addicted like we are. At the time, we, they're like, my... Again, my disconnect. Whatever. Disconnect. Anyway. I challenge you, Jeremy, when you're on vacation, when you're on vacation, to disconnect from the internet entirely for one day, twenty-four hours. Don't access. I don't, Spencer, anything. how many times have you gone that. through a day? I think you would like it. I think you would like it. I do it almost every Sunday. Spencer, how many times have you gone through a day where you didn't even think about your fingers? 
Um, disconnected. Day. So you're disconnected oh, from Oh, my goodness. There you are. I think, about, I think about my finger every day if it were gone. You guys. I've got other good Where news. Where am I driving that day? Let me just give you one more little bit because I've now Why got you fighting. Why did that remind you of us, by the way? It was just the, I don't know, it was the chopping sound. Um, <laughs> here's another one, just so you know, because I, I know you guys were fighting about this in the hall the other day. Electrocuting your brain does make you dumber, not smarter. Mm. So Thank you, the Green Mile. So we they did a study at University of North Carolina School of Arts and, uh, by the way, which are the home of the fighting pickles. And they do mm-hmm. now – they have found that if you do electrocute your brain, you lose some IQ points. So just quit doing that. Who came up with this? Because that was a waste of time. Lots of great studies. Lots mm-hmm. of great studies. Hey, what are you guys talking about on your show? Does it involve – Something uh, way better than electrocuting your brain. What about what about fingers? Nothing about fingers. Okay. Fingers. Okay. Okay. That, what, what, just zero tie-ins to that okay, whatsoever. All right. Well, Other than it was hands show. that created the greatness. What? Of some of the most classic finishes within BYU sports Full-fingered history. Full-fingered people. Really? Okay. Yep. And you're I'm going to ask you this question straight question? up, man, okay, and I okay. want you to answer it. Okay? okay, okay, okay. What is the most exciting finish to any BYU game ever in any sport? The, 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 uh, the, the Holiday Bowl. Mm-hmm. Which that, Holiday Bowl? Is that the 84 Holiday Bowl? The national championship? Is that the one where or, they caught the, the Hail Mary pass? No, that, that would be 1980. The, that, that one. That's that one. Kind of that's the one. Very popular choice. Okay. So that to you is the most exciting finish mm-hmm. of any sport within BYU sports history. Uh, yeah. Plus, and I'll add, every Utah game that was 34-31 or whatever. you got to pick one. I'm adding all of them. Okay, what about Danny Ainge going coast to coast to get BYU oh, to their I remember that. Eight? I saw that live. Saw that. I'm not live in the stadium, but live on TV. Greater, greater mm-hmm. than the Miracle Bowl? Uh, it got them to the Elite Eight. They've never know, been back. In that moment, it was, yes. This is, this is an intriguing I'm, I'm topic, isn't it? I can't choose because they're all incredible. There's a reason we're talking about this because the NBA and the NHL have put on like just this barrage of amazing finishes over the last calendar week. Yes. And I just was thinking... Good grief. This is amazing that all these buzzer beaters are happening back to back to back. Mm-hmm. And so the train of thought went to, what's the greatest buzzer beater or exciting finish in BYU sports See, history? maybe you can't ever rank it. Maybe it's just contingent on the entire context. There are no wrong answers, That's by right. the way, because no. it's your opinion. That's right. By the way, it's the same thing with the finger and the internet. You know, it's recency, there's recency bias that plays into this. There is, oh, I, I had an emotional tied to this game mm-hmm. because of who I was watching it with. Yeah, you may have been kissing or a girl it, right when that went down. <laughs> no, it was my wait. favorite athlete ever that was involved mm-hmm. in that. Mm-hmm. You know? That's right. That's right. I only have one picture of one BYU event in my house. What? It's Beck Tarlin. Yeah. Oh, that was cool. Thank and one, you, and one of the Lansing. dudes in the picture on the field lives in my ward. And so you just wanted a picture of I'm him? I'm like, dude, I have a photo of you in my house. It's weird. <laughs> That's cool, guys. That's a great topic. And then if you're looking for anything else, just throw in the internet finger thing. Okay. I'm just saying. Yep. I mean, we'll don't do that. waste if we are, it. If we are hurting for content, we will bring in and you that guys, That's our plan for July 18th. <laughs> Is that really a dead spot in the sports world? <laughs> that, <laughs> oh, I, there are no dead spots for us. No, that's true. The day after the All-Star game in the summer in Major League Baseball is literally the slowest day of the sports year on the national scene. Really? Yes. That's so, why the ESPYs are on that yeah. night. That's good. The ESPYs. <laughs> yeah, that's, I was wondering why they needed that, and that's to fill the void. 
You got to have something, right? Yeah, you guys need. Uh, um, we need some awards. You and Four? I just oh, oh, we like, need to start well, giving we awards. Have y, we have Y awards. Dude. Well, you have the Y awards. I know. I don't have awards. Do the okay. mad, the the townsies. Do the Maddies. Well, yeah, we, we, we tried Maddies. to do that, but it just died. I think we just need to stick to the task. I think so you're bringing it up again. Yeah, oh. we're going to bring it up every time. Awesome. You guys are the best. Have a great show. Thanks, man. Watch Thank your you. finger. Watch your finger and be thinking, Jerem, which which one we want to take off. Yep. All right. Finger greater than interwebs. Good luck, right. gentlemen. Have a great show. Thanks. Bye. Touchdown. They're, they've got a great show. Top of the hour. Five minutes away, folks. So get ready and you'll get a take on that topic. Uh, here's the deal. We always like to do a hero story, right? This is one of the coolest stories we've ever done as far as heroes go. It's recent, too. The death toll from the severe storms that ripped through several states on Sunday, this last Sunday, now stands at five, including a couple who died trying to shield their baby daughter from a twister. Authorities in Nashville, Arkansas, say Michael and Melissa Munahan, uh, it's uh, probably, it's Munahan, um, were trying to keep their 18-month-old daughter safe when their mobile home flipped over and exploded, according to the AP. That poor girl is never going to know they're her parents. So the mom and the dad held the baby between them, and when the trailer exploded, mom and dad died. Um, But the girl survived. That poor girl is never going to know her parents, the county coroner says, but she's young enough that she'll never uh, never remember what happened. Authorities say that the girl was found alive during the rescue efforts and is now with her maternal grandparents in Texarkana. Uh, the baby was definitely their life. They, the parents, considered her their greatest blessing. You couldn't find two parents who loved a child more, a cousin tells the AP. She's going to grow up knowing family and knowing love. She says family members have been searching through debris to find family member or family mementos for the little girl. The couple who were in their late 20s were the only fatalities from Arkansas tornado. Two people died in a small Texas van, city of Van where the Red Cross says that more than 100 homes were destroyed or badly damaged. So two parents who loved their daughter enough to lose themselves and die. Heroes, folks. Uh, and, uh, you know, the show, we've covered it all today. We really have. We've covered everything from the power of uh, having more spirituality in your life to, and its impact at creating a healthier relationship. We also talked about the power of healing that can take place through uh, actually playing certain video games and learning how to process and um, by and protest, pro, process through your PTSD. But most importantly is that story of two parents uh, giving up their lives for one beautiful daughter. Folks, there is good in the world. You may not see it on every news show. You may not hear it everywhere. But that's the goal of this show is to bring you the good and help you see the good in the world. Thanks for joining us. We couldn't do the show without you. Join us again tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you live long, longer, love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Till tomorrow, take care. 